<laughs> Welcome back to the Horror Square Podcast. I am Nadine. I'm Stevie. I'm Steph. And this is going to open your eyes about the horse's respiratory system. And everyone is giggling and I'm not sure why. <laughs> it's because it's very late and we get it silly is. the later it gets. So <laughs> this last week, last weekend, um, a couple of us, the Stephs were down at the Big Bang. Nadine was enjoying some beautiful mountain scenery and mm-hmm. bump. Banff with her family. So I guess our weekend at the Big Bang and our impromptu visits to see Bailey Stanton kind of inspired the podcast <laughs> episode for this week. Mm-hmm. Um, we both had scopes done and, you know, made some discoveries that weren't very obvious and just thought... So, Steph, what did you find out about Ray-Ban? Yeah, I'm really excited to hear about this because I didn't really get to talk to you guys much about this when I was in Banff. I just kind of got, like, the little gist of, like, what's going on with your guys' horses. So, like, take me through your appointment with her and maybe um, just tell me what you found. For sure. So, it kind of popped in my mind because Stevie had went there first just because she was having um, some sort of concerns that you'll tell us about after, Mm -hmm. I'm sure. Um, So, I had texted Bailey and I was just wondering if I could get scopes done on both of my horses. It wasn't anything super obvious and I'd never had the opportunity to actually scope them right after a run to see if anything's going on in there right right at competition. Mm-hmm. So she only had time for Ray, which bless her heart for even doing that because <laughs> after talking to her tonight, I feel bad for even texting her at the Big Bang to do this. But Yeah, so we scoped Ray right after her run, and it turns out she was bleeding, and I had no idea. So quite quite a lot of blood. Yeah, yeah, actually quite a lot of blood. Um, so like a grade three out of four in on that particular day. Um, it was really hot and humid. It was super deep ground. Um, so I think the conditions probably were pretty perfect too. But it was just kind of an eye opener for me. Yeah, because typically Ray, like she's been sore before, and she let me know. Yeah, uh, but this time, like there was really no signs. Like hardly. No, well, maybe the odd time she'd kind of be like, "Oh, are you sure we're going into the holding pen?" Kind of thing, but nothing like hmm. nothing, nothing no no resistance, like no. nothing extreme. So yeah, to see like a grade three at a floor bleeding it was like whoa okay well I gotta make some changes Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it was just kind of an eye-opener and even just the like the consult that I had there was an eye-opener she goes way more in depth today which we just thought would be super valuable information for everybody out there because you may not know what's going on in there and it might seem okay on the outside or maybe you're having some issues and if you just do a little investigating you Mm -hmm. might get some answers right away Mm -hmm. yeah like I'm very uh curious because I'm going to be doing a BAL and cash for sure. Mm-hmm. Like right now I'm just doing slow work, but next big jackpot I go to, I really want to get that done. Um, so what is a scope though? Oh, scope. It was a okay. scope. Yeah. yeah so the scope. scope, they stick the camera in. And from my understanding, it's best like 45 minutes after a run. Oh, okay. And then you can actually get that visual and you can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but as she kind of explains to in the podcast, like if there's mucus and stuff that you really want to get to the bottom of, like get some serious, like scientific sample answers, the BAL where they actually go in and then flush the lungs is definitely a really good thing to do too. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so you talked about, uh, you're going to be changing some things you do with Ray. So how do you plan on treating her bleeding? Um, so I am going to have to use a little bit of Lasix, which is a whole nother learning curve on its own. So mm-hmm. thankfully and it's going to be IV. It's going to be IV. So, <laughs> um, yeah. so, and you also made a little purchase, didn't you, to help with her bleeding? Oh yes, I did. Now I'm like, oh, I should have got a puffer after listening to this podcast. But yeah, I, I'm but really no, excited. they have their place. Yeah, I'm they excited for it's like per- well, not preventative, but um, for it's just it's healing and clearing. Um, 
capability. Because honestly, like that's what was keeping Joe from bleeding this whole from February till now when she had all this. She was a grade three severe inflammation, like had a buttload of mucus in there. Mm-hmm. And she wasn't bleeding like at all because I was able to keep her clean. Yeah. So you bought a nebulizer running. like la- last year, the year before. February. And you kind of. January or something. So you started your rehab with that like throughout the winter. You kind of yeah. cleaned her out before the season. And it was super successful mm-hmm. in the sense that you like had actually reduced your dose of Lasix. Yeah. Then got her scoped again and like confirmed that she actually was not yeah she had that inflammation still but like like you'll you'll hear in this podcast how she explains if you do have that inflammation and you still want to run like i didn't know the inflammation was there but you still want to run and using the nebulizer can be a good tool there Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, and you explained uh, Joe's healing too in the last podcast. Yeah, so, so you well. all know about that. Yeah, so oh, that, yeah. that yeah, was really, really, mm-hmm. really good. So if you don't remember that or you didn't listen to that episode, head on back to um, our Going Down the Road to Shannon Blakely's um, episode, and then you can hear Stevie's story with Joe and how mm-hmm. she really brought her back to yeah that. with the nebulizer. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. I did get th- so I did purchase it on a zero percent for one year. I don't know, just to plug there you can do that if you get approved <laughs> and then it's only 147 dollars a month it sounds less bad to your husband when you just say it like that so yeah <laughs> <laughs> that's actually pretty i didn't know they finance those yeah that ain't too bad just real quick little application did you get a pink one too i got a pink one and i had to pay 40 dollars more for the pink one than the freaking blue one I yeah i about- seen that i was like why is it more expensive for what the pink joke. one yeah. I know, 40 bucks more. I should have just got the blue one and slapped some horse Maybe horse the ink, the pink it. ink is more expensive for however they make them They pink. know all the Betty Barrels. <laughs> and how was Bamp? It was good. Um, my dad was just an adventure man this weekend, or I guess last weekend, and um, we were canoeing and a 25-kilometer bike ride the one day. Oh. Second day, we were up at 5 in the morning and went on like a six and a little bit hour hike. Me and my mom actually ended up going almost... But was it actually six hours? It actually was. <laughs> like, And I screenshotted it because Stevie tried to tell me I was wrong, and I was like, I am not wrong. <laughs> I screenshotted the time that was on the, like, the suggested time, and me and my mom were that long. Was that the hike you did again you did no the same this, one? this was a different oh. one but it was around the same time oh yeah because it was all elevated so we were almost three thousand feet up on a mount like we were almost at the top peaks like we were pr- like the highest okay. you could go what was it called um it goes from larch valley to the sent sen- sen- sentinel pass so we climbed the Sentinel Pass and it was like straight up goat trail. And oh, me and my ooh. mom, like people were in like helmets and like walking sticks and like, like those really like professional ones and like hiking stuff. Me and my mom are just in like, I'm like from my gym shoes I had since like high school. <laughs> and like these like pants. I'm just like, whatever. Like, Wait, was that? your mom in yeah. the heels she wore to the barrel race? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> that was actually so cute though. She was just like real I know. pumped about it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, me and my mom, we did it and we we were like people were huffing and puffing the whole way but we were laughing like we're just like what are we doing like i'm impressed <laughs> with you nadine like I, you've been putting some work on your I, cardiovascular health lately or I, what i didn't even finish what i did the, after that oh i ran the whole way down 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 like me and my mom ran all the way all did the you way have shin splints the next day i my toes like, so my toes are messed up they are like 
this is like almost TMI, but I have like brutal ingrown toenails and it just like runs in my family. So whenever my foot would like hit the end of my runners, I would die. And it was so rocky and branches and everything that like every step I was just like, oh my God, like my feet, like I have to run because the more I walk and the more like I need to get down. Yeah. It was actually like brutal. Like my feet were like bruised and like my shoulders still hurt. Yeah. It was actually like really tough on my body, but it was like the coolest thing. Like the view up there. And it was really cool to do with my mom too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, but yeah, we like, we did that and then, um, ate we delicious food. Ate delicious food and like had lots of fun. I do recommend if you guys are going to, if someone's going to Banff and they're kind of on a budget, um, there's a place called like the Elk Lounge or the Elk Room or something. And their food was the best in Banff that we had and it was the cheapest in Banff mm. that we had. Like oh. it was actually $19 for like a steak, garlic bread, mushrooms, onions, two sides, and it was like the best. Like it was nice. so, so good. So if you're dining in Banff on a budget, we just stopped there because it looked like it wasn't that busy and everyone was wearing masks and you had to like pre-book in advance if you wanted to go to a restaurant mm-hmm. and we didn't so we're like oh whatever we'll stop at this place it looks kind of cool and mm-hmm. we ate there and we're like oh my god this is like the best but this is like a hidden gem in Bam. Mm-hmm. so yeah if it's cool. a good price especially yeah yeah so it was fun i do wish i was barrel racing but i honestly haven't spent that much i needed that much needed time with my family yeah I feel like cool. it is really important to, to take time away from like doing what we love and realizing that other people in our lives do want to see us mm-hmm. and like it's not just us and our horses so mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> and, no i kidding. have to remember that sometimes as well yeah we are so excited to bring you more valuable information from dr bailey stanton She's been competing in various equine disciplines from a very young age, which you will hear in this podcast. She's also been competitive in barrel racing since high school and continues to do so in our rodeo and futurity world today. If you've been to a big jackpot, ABRA finals, or any big performance horse event in central Alberta area, you may have ran into Dr. Bailey Stanton. She can often be found there trying to balance her time between competing and working with clients and their horses. We are so excited to bring you Dr. Bailey Stanton. What, 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 what's up, Doc? <laughs> hey, how are you guys? We're good. How are you? <laughs> Not too bad. That's good. So I'm Nadine. I don't think we've met before. But I am. No, I don't. She's so. our jokester. I am the jokester. <laughs> but they did force me to say that. <laughs> Somebody yes. has to be. All right. So before we dive into your professional career as a doctor of veterinary medicine and owner operator of Stanton Equine, let's talk a little bit about barrel racing. Uh, we often see you down south at events running numerous horses. So can you tell us a little bit about your barrel racing career? Maybe where it got started? Sure. So. I don't have kind of the typical rodeo family, or I don't kind of come from that background where I've got, you know, parents that have um, been rodeoing before or anything. I actually come from an outfitting family. So what that means is essentially my family's been involved in tourism um, in the Rocky Mountains, so mostly kind of based out in the Banff Parks area um, and Kananaskis. And so I kind of was raised more in like a commercial horse operation. So um, for over 100 years, my my mom's side of the family, so the Brewster family, have been doing um, backcountry rides, trail rides, sleigh rides, 
um, and backcountry camps um, in the Rocky Mountains. And so that's kind of where all the horse part of my life has come from. So I was raised on a dude ranch and kind of raised around about usually about 120 or so head of horses. Um, yeah. So not really kind of your typical rodeo family story. My dad got on Bronx, I think, you know, when he was a teenager, but, um, in terms of being competitive in rodeo, it's kind of my sister and I that have started doing that. Um, and it all just, we had one of my dad's aunts actually, um, thought that we should go to this Jim Canna horse show that she was involved in putting on um, in Spruce View, Alberta. And they essentially were the start to us competing. And we did everything. So we'd like pick out the most broke dude horse and take it and make it like jump, jump, and barrel <laughs> race and point. And like we do even the costume classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. um, so that's kind of like the start of our competition and it just escalated from there. So we, we continued to ride actually English and Western probably until like my very early teens. And then once we got competitive enough, uh, we kind of had to decide which direction we were going to go. And of course with like our Western heritage and the fact that we were born and raised on a dude ranch, we stuck to the Western side of things. And Mm -hmm. that mostly meant, barrel racing, roping, full bending, and started high school rodeoing and college rodeoing and went on from there. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you've been competitively barrel racing for, for a while, high, since high yeah, school. Yeah, like probably, I mean, I still remember going to like my first few ABRAs and I was, I was really young, but we were also still jumping and stuff and doing a whole bunch of other things, but we really started getting competitive at rodeos, probably high school rodeo was like where we started buying you know horses that could actually run fast instead of picking ones out of the dude string that (laughs) (laughs) fast ish so yeah we didn't we weren't born and raised on you know super nice feral horses or anything um I spent most of my childhood like trying to convince a dude horse to go over a jump or something (laughs) like that (laughs) that's it that sounds like an amazing way to to start though yeah. too yeah and what a yeah, beautiful it was country a to live cool in childhood. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah yeah we were lucky mm-hmm. and then it makes it easier when you do get the ones that are bred for it <laughs> yeah totally like I'm just now I mean I've had a couple of nice horses but through vet school and everything I kind of only had one or two and now that I'm um you know financially capable as well as just am able to format my life around it a bit Mm -hmm. I'm starting to gain a little bit of a collection which I come by honestly because I'm not the only one in my family who has tons of horses so (laughs) it's not my fault yeah it's (laughs) genetic right you were born that way in my genes (laughs) but yeah like I've you know the past couple years started to get on the dash of fames and the Frenchman's guy and um started to really get a taste of what the talent feels like instead Mm -hmm. of trying to to make it out of, you know, decent bloodlines, but not those more fancy things. Yeah. There's a reason why we we like those horses, for sure. Yeah, yeah. no kidding. For sure. Yeah. So can yeah. you tell us a little bit about the horses you're running today? Yeah. So um, I have a little bit of a collection. <laughs> we can't um, wait to hear about it. 
which once again is not entirely my fault because even though I'm a vet, my horses seem to be some of the biggest lemons on the planet. So they're constantly hurting themselves and needing time off and whatever. So, you know, I just keep adding more so that when they're hurt, I still have something to ride. (laughs) I don't want to like waste my energies or anything. So yeah, Yeah, exactly. Um, (laughs) But when they're all sound and happy and good, it is a lot. Um, so anyhow, I have, so I have two kind of older rodeo horses that are one eight, one ten. Um, the 10 year old is my mare Jewel, who's a roan horse out of first sound French. And I've had her since she was three, but she has had, she's been like the epitome of a problem child. Um, <laughs> just with lots of health issues and whatever, nothing that's like, retired her by any means it's all been fixable it's just cost me a lot of time with her mm-hmm. um and then I've got Springsteen who's my hula guy um who's eight and he I rodeoed on him for about half the year last year he made the FTA finals um but I wasn't actually able to continue with him because he also got hurt oh. um ah. so I'm back on him oh, I have pneumonia right now <laughs> Oh so see, goodness. they all, no. even in my hands, things go wrong. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, things happen. But um, yeah, those are kind of my two older horses. And then I've got um, two paternity horses this year that by no means are, you know, kind of ready to be paternitying, I don't think. But I've entered them anyways, because mm-hmm. why not? Exactly. Um, <laughs> one is a tactic name that we bought out of the, well, my dad bought out of the CBHI sale. Um as a yearling and I remember picking him out because my dad was like dead set on buying something that day um and I was like okay well this is see it's a problem like it's a family problem I but, so I was like okay. story. <laughs> you do yeah. you do at the sale attack been... of fame and it was my mom she's like I'm buying something today <laughs> yeah exactly so then you like have to pick the best one for them yeah. because you can't just look up buy whatever so I picked him out and I actually, my sister rode him for a while um, and now he's in my hands and I actually just recently bought him off of my dad because oh. I really like him and I'm attached now. Yeah. Um, and then I also have a 99 gold mine that I bought before he wound up being in my hands because I wanted to have something young to bring along. So I bought her last fall um, and she's really, really cool. And my plan was just to kind of, you know, work on her and focus on her. And then I wound up with Batman as well. So now I've got <laughs> a couple security Aww. horses, which is a bit much, but it's yeah. fun. It's good. I haven't had like been able, I haven't had really the time or the ability to focus on young horses as mm-hmm. much as I would like. And with COVID and stuff, and I was able to go to Arizona this winter. So Ooh, nice. I've been able to put a little bit more time into riding young ones, which is fun because I have a lot of them. My dad calls my house kindergarten, horse kindergarten. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> There's a lot of babies. Do you like doing both the futurities and rodeo? Um, I was always like a diehard rodeo person for quite a while because I just didn't I didn't feel like I had the time and the ability to really commit to the young ones to get them ready on time. Um, and I don't really feel like I do but I'm trying to do more of it Mm because it's it's really rewarding and the 
the young ones are really yeah. fun. And yeah, I hadn't like actually ridden a colt for a really long time because of school and everything. I kind of would just farm them out. Um, but I got on my two year old um, this spring. That's the first one out of my retired rodeo mare that won me a lot and put me through that school. So that was pretty cool to finally like ride a young one again, especially when it's out of, you know, your iconic mare. Special <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it kind of, yeah, it's my focus has changed a little bit this year, especially because there aren't rodeos happening and it's a little bit refreshing because I'm, I got a little bit burnt out of rodeoing last year, mm-hmm. I think. Um, and, you know, with so many horse health problems and stuff, it was nice to take a bit of a step back, mm-hmm. but the futurities are intense for sure. And it's super competitive and you're on young horses and you kind of have to take a step back and realize like they're only five. Yeah. <laughs> no um, my one, my 99 has only truly been, you know, running at jackpots for like less than a month and a half. Oh, so, yeah. you know, you get all these, you get pumped up and want to, you know, go fast like everybody else is and you've paid you know, you've had to like take out a loan to pay your freaking security. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> they're so expensive. So it's hard not to be competitive, but it is also super nice to kind of put yourself um, up against those people and see where you're at. And that's kind of what it's all about. You just can't get too wrapped up in it, which I think we all do. And then you mm-hmm. go home and take a deep breath and it's like, it's okay. They did fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but back to the round pen or yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I love rodeoing. Like I, I rodeoed really hard all through undergrad in the first couple of years of vet school. And it was a lot of fun. And mm-hmm. it, I mean, I obviously wasn't working as a vet then, so I had more time to, you know, yeah. make it fun. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so that's kind of the end goal for me. Like my goal is I don't, myself as like a horse trainer by any means um I feel like I've missed being able to put as much time into it as I want to and I'm playing catch up right now mm-hmm. um but I mean the goal is to bring the young ones along and make them into rodeo horses at yeah, the end of the day long, long-term so, horses yeah. yeah 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 like I'm not you know going to win the futurities and sell them right away I get way too attached I can buy horses, but <laughs> yeah, them, right? like a whole different story. I know so. when people come on here and they're like, yeah, no, I just like selling them. Like when mm-hmm. I bring them along, I'm like, how? Yeah. How? I know. I, know. How? Like, I get must- so attached yeah. to. Like I love the futurities and everything, but I'm like, what do I do? Like if you can't just futurity, keep futuritying them, you have to, they move on. And then it's like, I'm going to have a huge collection. How am I going to ride all these horses? <laughs> Rodeo I and know. Or, yeah. yeah, like yeah. they all get older, and then all of a sudden, it's like, how do you enter like six horses at the rodeo? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> how do you afford that? You just have to buy a lot of different yeah. wigs, right? <laughs> different yeah, exactly. So you're not getting exactly. judged. Yeah, yeah. Or like one thing I've kind of recently done is I I do have one more horse that I was running a bit this year, and I just felt like I didn't have enough time for her, and so I just like you know kind of gave her away, and I have a two year old that I haven't had time for. So I just kind of gave him away just for other people to temporarily ride that I trust, you know, like <laughs> yeah. they're going to do a good job. Yeah. And yeah. if we sell them, that's fine. But um, in my case, I would rather kind of see something done with them than mm-hmm. just sitting around. So, yeah, and everybody wants more horses to play with. So I just give them to the people that are like dying to play with one. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
and need another one. So, yeah. So getting back to your business life and life as a veterinarian, did you always know you wanted to focus on the equine aspect of things? Um, this is always a really hard question for me, honestly. And I think sometimes I just don't really know how to explain it. So I'll just be like, oh, my family forced me or <laughs> you know, like something simple. Like, you know, yeah, I, I was born and wanted to do this or something, but none of that is true. It just mm-hmm. kind of happened. Like everything led here in a really windy kind of path. I um I always was like kind of an academic kid, I guess, and so there was a lot not a, not pressure from my family, but like my mom was always making sure that I'm like challenged and I've got a plan and mm-hmm. um science like I really liked science and medicine and that kind of thing. So the plan was always in the back of my mind to probably go into some type of medicine, and then being born and raised around animals and my whole resume was filled with everything to do with animals. It just it kind of just made sense. Yeah. yeah. Um, but to say that I was that kid that like, cause I've met people like that, that literally spent their whole childhood, like dreaming of being a vet. Mm-hmm. That wasn't really me because I was way too preoccupied with my horses. <laughs> <laughs> so like my horses have always been top of the list for sure. Um, and all through vet school and like my internship and everything, there were so many people telling me like, you cannot be a horse vet and own horses. Like it is, it's impossible. Like you just can't have this life. And I was just like, well, then I won't be a horse vet. (laughs) A lot of the equine vets that I know and I'm, you know, colleagues with, they have a horse or maybe two. And it's kind of just a, you know, on the weekend type thing, but to actually compete was Mm -hmm. not really something that they thought would be possible. And actually, even when I went to Saskatoon to the vet school when I was kind of checking it out before I went the dean told me he's like if you're a professional athlete and you're competing professionally which at that time I was he's like I really think you should defer a year so which was surprising Mm. to me but Mm. he basically said there's no way you can do both but Mm. I did and I continue to do it I just found a way to make it work um, wow. and be able to combine the two, which is super lucky. Um, but I just don't think that anybody should be able to tell you how to live your life. Yeah, and no kidding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. To be perfectly honest, I if I wasn't able to ride my horses, I, I literally would find another job. Like, yeah. it's probably yeah. just like you guys. It is kind of your the reason you wake up in the morning. And mm-hmm. yeah. I love my job, but the reason why I love my job is because I have a bigger commitment to it because I also am living the same life as a lot of my clients are, which gives me kind of a better connection to it and makes you just that much more driven to do it. Yeah. Do you find that when you go to rodeos, are you meeting up with clients or do you have to like draw a line? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's been, it's been a difficult balance um, Mm -hmm. since I started. Like it, it's been a challenge to figure out how to make it work. And um, when I first started doing it, I kind of just was happy to have the business. Like I was, you know, out there and wanting to be busy. And so I was really open to doing work whenever I could. Mm-hmm. Um, but that very quickly got overwhelming. And so um, there's, 
there's been a bit of a challenge in trying to balance it all and still I really want to be accessible to my clients and that is my business but at the same time in order to keep my sanity and not burn out I really need to be able to focus time on my horses as well so it's kind of one of those things that it's always evolving and always changing and there's there's good days and then you know when shit hits the fan or something happens with my own horses then those days become really hard and you know I might get testy with the people that are basically walking into my living quarters trying Mm -hmm. to get my attention Um, Mm -hmm. it's just like the you know the personal space the bubble gets really a lot bigger when you're you've got a lot on your plate and you just kind of get overwhelmed um but I've I've figured out ways um, of managing it. And I think a lot of my clients, I like to say, I've kind of trained people. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like people understand better. And some clients, I, they just don't even think about it. Um, yeah. And so I've gotten better at being open and being like, I'm really sorry, but I just need this 10 minutes, you know, after my run to take care yeah. of my horse and decompress. Yeah. And, yeah. and people are slowly understanding. And then they share that with each other and, Mm-hmm. I had a client um, that was really upset with me at one point, I think at ABRA finals, because um, she kept trying to get my attention or I can't even remember what it was, but, or she was trying to text me and she was asking a question and I wasn't responding. And another client of mine was like, well, have you seen the lineup? <laughs> like, yeah. She's not answering your text because there's like 10 people lined up for appointments. Yeah. So, yeah. Oh my. And, yeah, you just don't even think about it. Yeah. And then once people realize it and think about it, then it's it's kind of a non-issue. But mm-hmm. I also have a lot more help now, too, which has been yeah. a huge change. So. Yeah. But people, like, don't think about it. Like, even last night, I got a text at 2.45 in the morning from a client. And they're like, oh, yeah. my God, it's the 24th. My appointment's supposed to be at 9.30. And she thought it was, like, yesterday. Like, her dates were all messed up. <laughs> And I, like, woke up from it, and, like, I literally, I felt bad, but I, like, kind of chewed her out, and this is probably the fourth person I chewed out for texting me that late, <laughs> oh, no. but, and waking me up, but, like, like, why? Like, if I don't... But you feel, you feel guilty. Yeah. And that's, you know, like, and for me, it's, I feel guilty when I'm, like, not able to focus on my horses. Like, I drag them all the way to these rodeos, mm-hmm. yes. and I expect them to perform, and then I'm going in the warm-up arena, somebody distracts me. And I'm not ready for that, you know, like, yeah, I remember a long time ago, my mom, I was upset about like missing in the breakaway at the college finals. And I was going into the barrel racing. And my mom said to me, she's like, smart enough, like your horse, you owe this to your horse to be 100% focused. And I mean, my mom has not, not a barrel racer. She rides, but not competitively. So she's never given me a lot of advice, but I've and it, you know, specifically towards barrel racing, but that's something I'll never forget. Mm-hmm. She was like, this is like your horse's moment. And she won the finals that year. And I've never forgotten that because they deserve every bit of our attention mm-hmm. when we expect that from them. Yeah. So it's one of those things where I feel really guilty when I'm distracted. But then at the same time, I also feel guilty if I'm ignoring a client or if I give them kind of like a half-assed answer because then I feel like I'm a bad vet because I'm like, oh my God, I should have like, so even somebody asked me the other day, how much butte should I give my horse? As I was like going in for my run. And I was like, (laughs) so, and they think, 
they probably thought that's a super simple question. But yeah. in my mind, like, I'm thinking, okay, I need more information. Yeah, like, I need, why? like, a proper history. Yeah, yeah exactly. Why are we giving it? Has the horse had butte? Like, is, there, is the horse safe to have butte? Like, that's what's going around in my professional brain. <laughs> so I've, like, completely switched off barrel racer brain. Yeah. And that's distracted me but at the same time I you know it's like the guilt either way so it's Mm -hmm. those kind of in between um random conversations I have with people where I really struggle whereas when I'm in an appointment and it's you know scheduled and planned and then I'm done the appointment and I go barrel race that I can handle yeah perfectly fine well yeah because then you're not like you're not focusing on one thing your mind is in two different places like exactly and I just I just feel, I feel guilty, but then I, and then I also feel bad because I'll like find myself getting frustrated at that person mm-hmm. or like frustrated mm-hmm. at my horse or, yeah. and it's all just misdirected it's frustrations. And it's just because, you know, you try to give a hundred percent to both things. Yeah. So it's hard to, I can do both in the same day. I just can't do both in the same minute. Yeah. No yeah. kidding. If that makes sense. Yeah. And I think that's the case for everybody. It just, it takes explaining that for everybody to understand and at the end of the day it's just me trying to be the best bet I can be um so if I'm a total (laughs) cue trust me I'll probably talk to you after my run yeah exactly (laughs) you're focused like (laughs) I think we need to put that on the back of your shirt yeah a lot of my friends have said like I need to wear like a sticker or something like a green light and a red light (laughs) or that's a good idea but I mean, at the end of the day, I'm super thankful for the business. And I'm mm-hmm. super thankful to be able to compete. So, you know, I also feel guilty that I struggle with it when I'm super lucky to do the job I do. Um, it's just, you know, the days when things get really overwhelming. Yeah. And I'm trying to lessen those number of days by just, you know, having more staff and having things more organized and, mm-hmm. and planning things better with my clients. Um so it's getting better, definitely better yeah. than it has been in the past. Well, and even like when we were down at the Big Bang and I I called you or messaged you asking about appointments and you're like, yeah, like I'm doing appointments, but I just I don't want to get too hectic because you were running. And it's like, yeah, mm-hmm. that's totally understandable. Yeah. 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 So and yeah. it's yeah, like there's certain events where I. I'm there working like aviary yeah. finals. Like there are years I haven't even entered because oh, yeah. I'm there working and I'm booked the whole time I'm there. Oh yeah. There's um, a lot and of I horses. certainly don't. Yeah. And I don't mind like big bang, for example, I didn't advertise that I'm like yeah. on site for the weekend, but somehow we still wound up being literally busy the entire time. We were there, <laughs> which is a little bit like I should have expected it. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have the manpower I wish I had, but oh, because yeah. of COVID and not having like these big races, I kind of got, you know, thinking, oh, it'll be fine. And then all of a sudden it's like, holy crap, we're scoping half yeah. of this barrel race. <laughs> well, like there um, were so many barrel racers there. I don't think anyone expected It that. was a lot. Yeah. It was a lot. Yeah. And so it was, and it was super hot. Yeah. Um, and I, luckily I had my boyfriend there with me and he has had to help me a lot. um in the past so he's like you know fairly capable and thank god I had him and I had Janae actually who you probably saw Jill's daughter who came to help and she's she's only 12 or she just turned 12 but she's a super help yeah um so we we survived and it was fine but um 
I had some other stressors. Like I had one of my, one of my five-year-olds was really mentally not handling it there at all. So then that's kind of in the back of my mind, um, trying to make sure I have enough time for him and everything. It, It all wound up being fine, but I can tell you what, on that Monday, I was, Totally big. I felt yeah. like hungover. It's just like, don't anyone talk to me all day. Yeah. A barrel race hangover. Yeah. Those, are, those are real. But yeah. you, you were barrel racing and working, so I can't yeah. even freaking imagine. I couldn't imagine. Yeah, like, I get worked up after running one horse. Like, my lead up to running cash is like a nervous wreck. And I couldn't imagine, like, working and running multiple horses. You had quite a few horses tied to your trailer yeah. there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, there are a lot. Some of which weren't really mine. They just <laughs> tied there so that I could scope them when I had time. Oh. <laughs> it was like a drive-through situation. Like, I'm yeah. showing my horse here, and when you get to it, that's cool. That's hilarious. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, I Mondays are usually the days where I try not to book anything mm-hmm. because, well, first of all, the phones are nuts. Like, Mondays are when everybody's calling and there's a lot of follow-up in the weekend and whatever. So it's not the best day to take off, but usually I need it to like try to regroup, get everything unpacked, repacked, cleaned, um, and answer the phone. Mm -hmm. But Mondays are my least favorite days of the week. (laughs) Yeah, I bet. Typically. But yeah, it was a good weekend. Like it was really fun that they had that many there. And Mm -hmm. I wish I got to watch a little bit more, but it's nice to see everybody, you know, wanting to go so bad right now. Yeah. It was a great event. Hopefully they do that again can't, next year. Can't hold the barrel racers back. Nope. nope. <laughs> no COVID slowing anybody down. No, no it doesn't seem like it. <laughs> no. So speaking of the day-to-day life at uh, Stanton Equine, um, what kind of help do you have around there to run your business? Um, so probably – my number one, you know, official helper is Cassidy. Um, she's been working for me for, I think, like three years now. Um, and she is now kind of in the role of like my office manager. So over time, I've been able to slowly delegate a lot of the things to her that, you know, the business side of things that are really hard for me to get to in a day. Mm-hmm. Um Especially because, like, we think of all the appointments that vets take, but a lot of people don't think of, like, the amount of follow-up and medical records. And, you know, like, there's a lot of other stuff and constant phone calls Mm -hmm. and consults and checking up. And so it it became very hard for me to manage the scheduling and just the silly business stuff. (laughs) Um, It it just kept being put on the to-do list and never getting to it. So Cassidy actually really liked she did, did a business degree, and so she really likes and is really good at a lot of the administrative stuff. Um, and I was always scared to have another person answering my phone um, because I think, like, a receptionist or the person that's on the phone is crucial to your business. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, you want they're the first person somebody talks to. And I'd had some bad experiences at clinics I'd worked with um, or worked for. And so, but when Cassidy came along, like, you will never meet a kinder human being. Like, she's amazing. And so she's kind of, she's younger than me, but she kind of acts like my mother. She, like, makes sure that I (laughs) drink water and, like, eat food and (laughs) that kind of stuff. Um, And she's a super good horse person. Um, So that's why I didn't, you know, jump to hiring a technician necessarily. I just wanted somebody that is really good with people, knows the barrel racing world, and um, is really good with horses. Like, I can trust that she's going to 
make sure I'm in the safest situation or safest place possible to do what I'm doing while she's handling a horse. So she's been my lifeline. Um, and then I have another girl that I hired just recently named Cashley Seitz, who I'm sure a lot of people recognize that rodeo name. Um, and so she started to uh, come on trips with us and she's very similar to Cassidy, lots of horse experience. She did an animal science degree. Um, so she's, you know, jumped right in and fit right into our group. Um, and I mean, both girls are super fun. So it's like, I get to go down the road working, you know, with two of my close friends, hmm. having fun on a road trip yep. all the time, That's which how is, we feel. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like a, it's a fun way to live for sure. And mm-hmm. they're super hardworking. And, um, so I'm really lucky because I was super worried about having a good team and being very selective. Um, my parents are business owners and I've grown up with them having tons of staff and the struggles with staff. Um, so I was, I was worried, but I've lucked out thus far and I've had some really good summer students as well. I can't really thank them enough for how hard they've worked for me. It just really sucks when I go back to school, Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. No doubt. which I'm struggling with right now because Caitlin just left like a week ago and my life is a mess. Oh, no. <laughs> I really need her. Oh. But yeah, and then um, I can't really go without saying, um, you know, that I have all this other help behind the scenes too. So my family, obviously, my sisters had to help me with appointments here and there. And even my dad had to help me on one of our Grand Prairie trips. (laughs) I don't even really know how that worked out, but he was holding the x-ray and he's actually really good. He knew exactly where to like put the plate and everything. (laughs) Yeah. So everybody's helped a bit. My boyfriend has helped a ton, especially, um, you know, taking care of things at home, obviously, when I've got tons of horses. Um, <laughs> and then I've kind of got this, you know, team of people um, that are behind me helping keep horses ridden and keep them going. Um, Jill McDougall has been huge. Their house is basically my second home in Pinoca. Okay. And I literally can blow in here. I mean, I just did blow in here late throw my horses in pens and you know I could I could leave and she'd make sure they're fed and ridden and whatever I need (laughs) Um, yeah and you know I really trust her riding and her and I really have a good understanding of each other and we just we've made it work to kind of work on my horses together when I'm out of time um and in trade she gets I mean, a lot of at work. <laughs> That's awesome. Actually, she's so sweet. Even when I purchased my ABRE card this year, she's like, here's your number. And by the way, great job with the podcast. Like, she's like Aww. so sweet. Yeah. Yeah. They're an awesome family. Like, they're they're my second family for sure. I spend, like, even my boyfriend was like, I'm pretty sure you're there more than you're at home. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Well, it sounds yeah. like but you're then he started great people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, totally. I've got, I've got a lot of help and good horse people and... I mean, I, for sure, like, it's not like I'm able to do all of this on my own. I have a lot of support behind me. So, um, that's what's made it doable. And yes, they all think I have too many horses, but we're working on that. (laughs) Are there certain areas of equine medicine that intrigue you the most? Um, for sure, anything sports medicine related. So, um, lameness for sure. And then as a lot of people know I do a ton of respiratory work. Um, I, you know, I've always been more interested in that stuff because of obviously my competitive experience and background. Um, 
I honestly like it all. I just, I really like performance horse medicine because I kind of like seeing, you know, the results and I get to actually visibly see people on their horses and, and follow up with them by just seeing them at a barrel race and stuff. So, mm-hmm. um, that's been really fun. And that's kind of something that's interested me. I mean, even since I was a summer student, I started doing, um, some scoping with an internal medicine specialist out of the UFC actually helped kind of get him connected to the barrel racing industry. Um, and I like scheduled him to come to these jackpots. And, um, so we started doing a lot of respiratory work even before I became a vet. So that's kind of where all of that began. And then, I mean, the, the lameness is, that's a huge part of everything we do is mm-hmm. the soundness exams and making sure that horses are able to perform as well as they can. Um, and just, I mean, I, it sounds a bit sappy, but the welfare part of it, I mean, it's, it's really nice to see a horse go out there and be able to do their job a lot easier um, yes. and to see their owners just, you know, stop fighting that horse getting to the arena or stop. And I mean, sometimes the results are really challenging to achieve and it takes a while, but sometimes it's like literally we make one change or we do one thing and the horse like walks flat flat footed into the arena. So it's really cool to see those kind of instant results sometimes. And Mm -hmm. I just honestly like the clients too. Like I have the best horse clients (laughs) in the world. (laughs) The rodeo community is awesome. There's just, you know, this, everything's a little bit less, stressful everybody's more easygoing they know their horses really well horses are super well handled and safe and you know they're my favorite kind of horses so that helps too what's one of the worst injuries you've had on the job if you don't mind us asking oh my gosh okay well this is this is quite the story oh I'm excited um and it has nothing to do with like a horse trying to kill me because the horse was actually anesthetized at the time oh I um I, during my internship, so I did my internship at Moore Equine. So it wasn't even my surgical case, but I went in um, to help get the horse on the table. And because it takes like a few people to bring the horse in on the hoist and get the horse all set up. And it was, it was an ophthalmology surgery. So an eye surgery. And um, it was this great big Appaloosa. Like it was probably like 1600 pounds. And we put it on the table and it's laying there anesthetized, but it's not quite positioned correctly. So we all go, you know, like all six or seven of us go to pull the horse just a little bit square on the table and we pull the horse kind of towards me and the table collapses onto my foot. <gasps> oh, so, oh, no. <laughs> so oh, I had like this, yeah, this horse plus the table, um, on my foot. Oh. And so I wound up having to like rip my foot out from underneath because the table goes up super, super slow. And the oh. one tech was like, hang on, I'm lifting it. And I was like, screw that. And Not I ripped my <laughs> oh, um, So yeah, that was pretty unbelievable. I've broken a lot of bones and nothing compares to your foot getting crushed under like 2,000 pounds. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's we're both by broken far the there. worst injury. Oh. Yeah, bones broken, a lot of stuff. Like I was, I probably screamed all the way to the emergency room. <laughs> oh, oh no. Yeah. It was it was really Ouch. bad. Yeah. And they actually missed the break, the one break. And then oh. um, I I remembered looking at their x-rays, you know, on morphine and everything, being like, wow, this is a really crappy x-ray. Like, <laughs> you guys need to take better x-rays. Really? And I think because I was all drugged up, I said that. And they actually wound up taking, 
they took like an oblique, another angle, and they saw that there's like a piece of my toe is just like floating underneath oh. my, <laughs> oh my foot. Goodness, that's so, hilarious. I love I love that part yeah. though. How you're just like, yeah, no, this isn't good. It's true though. Like we take good quality mm-hmm. radiographs. Yeah. I have to say. <laughs> oh, and you're like your scope, man. That, that yeah, I'm thing excited. Is crisp. I'm excited to get into that. <laughs> yeah. So speaking of that. We would love to dive into respiratory health today. Could you sum up the importance of um, the respiratory system in the horses of our sport in barrel racing and maybe other rodeo sports? Yes. So interestingly enough, um, I went to a conference once and um, one of the major topics in the conference was the respiratory system. And I think even... Renault, who I'll get to discussing who he is, and a lot of people already probably know who he is, but he was presenting, um, and so I kind of listened to the whole series of lectures that were all back-to-back, and one of the most interesting um, presentations I listened to was one where they discussed how technically a horse, based on its blood volume, so its entire cardiovascular function, so its heart, its blood volume, um, as well as its locomotive system, so their muscles and um, tendons, all that kind of thing, they actually could be faster than Mm. what they are. Um, The limiting factor in the horse is their lungs. Mm -hmm. So what that means is if horses were able to have bigger lungs and a bigger surface area for air exchange, they actually could be faster than Mm. they are. So that's that's super meaningful because that's telling you that even, you know, one or 2% of a decrease in lung function is very significant to a horse. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, in other words, you know, a horse can push past a lot of lameness or other types of issues. But one thing that I've never found a horse to really push through very well is a respiratory issue. Mm -hmm. Um, Because, I mean, you can, adrenaline kicks in and you can maybe ignore a little bit of a limp, but if you can't breathe, um, you're not going to ignore that. Yeah. And horses really don't like to, you know, struggle to breathe. It really messes with their minds. Um, some horses are able to push through, but for the most part, when, when there's behavioral issues and somebody's saying that, you know, we need to get to the bottom of why my horse is doing this, it's always on the list. It's not always the problem, but it's always on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, especially in barrel horses, for sure. So that's been my experience, and I think that lecture really kind of summed up why it's so important because mm-hmm. it is, in my opinion, number one on the list for, you know, getting these athletes beyond just being, you know, fast and good, but being exceptional. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of what it takes is for their lungs to be in the best condition possible. We actually went to a Dr. Renault seminar here um, a couple weeks ago, and oh, I, I can't believe like the they did like the they had the backpacks on with like the little camera on them. Yep, and we got dynamic. A, so. Yeah, yeah. I can't believe what it looks like when a horse is bleeding. Like it actually looks like a like a murder scene. Like that is yeah, absolutely insane. <laughs> yeah, and like we saw what yeah. it like when they had the little flapper girl thing going and and the palate mm-hmm. displacing. Like that was crazy. Like. You just don't, it, it's hard to lot. visualize when you, but when you yeah. see it, it's just like, oh my God. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's, it's passageway. I mean, think how big a horse is and how 
small that space is that all of their air Mm -hmm. has to go through. So if you have even, you know, the tiniest bit of an obstruction, that's huge for that size of an animal. And the air has Mm -hmm. to go all the way up their nostrils and all the way down their trachea um, and make it to their lungs. So there's a lot of points where it can be obstructed. And then if the lungs aren't healthy, then your air exchange is also challenged as well. And the the pressures of the air, I mean, there's a lot of different things that, that come together. And I mean, nobody probably really cares about the physiology, but it's super, super important to kind of find all of the different places where you could be having an issue mm-hmm. um, and treat those specific aspects. And I, I mean, I talked to both sets about that with each of their horses. Um, and yeah, usually it's a bit of a process to try to figure out what specifically is the main cause of bleeding for Mm -hmm. each horse so we kind of have to go through the process with each one and it takes some time to get to know that horse um, and figure out a plan in general what do you think affects uh this the most like would the natural environment like is that something in general we should all be watching out for a little bit more so in performance horses yeah so anybody who's had kind of a respiratory type force or has, you know, been through dealing with a bleeder or something like that, we usually have kind of long conversations about everything you can do in their environment. And when you're at the barrel race, um, there's a lot of different things that can have an effect on their lungs and on their performance. So, I mean, the two most common things that I deal with, aside from kind of, you know, the random, I guess not random, but the obstructions that come up like a displacement or a roar. Um, But the ones that kind of apply to every single barrel horse would be the inflammation in their lungs, which is affected by the environment as well as their anxiety. And I think barrel horses um, specifically deal with a lot of anxiety. Mm -hmm. Um, And even if they don't seem, I know I kind of talked to you guys about this this past weekend or at the big bang. Yeah. Um, even if you don't think your horse is, you know, outwardly that much of an anxious, high strung horse, they, they can be internalizing a lot of that. And mm-hmm. by doing the dynamic scope, we're seeing that a lot more. Like a horse can be literally standing at the arena looking like they're sleeping while you're kind of just watching barrel racing and their throat is collapsing and closing because for whatever strange reason, when horses are stressed, they sometimes close their throat, which is, yeah. doesn't really make sense. No, but I mean, not, not a lot all. with horses makes sense. No. <laughs> I mean, they do run around on like literally a finger for each leg. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that's, and I mean, for different horses, it's, you know, it's always a slightly different protocol and a different challenge for different riders even. I mean, some riders are extremely calm. Um, and so I've seen horses that have been sold to like a more intense, you know, competitive okay. rider. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden they're starting to have some bleeding problems. Yeah. Um, wow. And it's just, yeah, like they're very in tune to our intensity. And I mean, I actually do know one client that started managing a lot of her own anxiety, um, like really took it seriously. And her horse started, you know, not bleeding, going in the arena better like it's, oh it's pretty amazing the effect mm-hmm. we can have on them. So, and as a barrel racer myself and feeling that myself, I feel like I can, you know, really help people to try to figure that out. Yeah. Um, 
And then the, in, I mean, the environment and the inflammation is, that's a constant battle. Like you can't, you literally cannot tell me that not a thing, like every single barrel horse has had some degree of inflammation mm-hmm. at some point. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no such thing as horses that have perfect lungs. Um, the horse trailers are hard on them because there's, you know, poor ventilation, ammonia, lots of mold spores that you can't even see in there. They often don't put their heads down as much as they need to. Um, so the trailers are like, I'm crazy about my trailer mm-hmm. being clean. And yeah, like um, even every you day you like, should shovel it out. Yeah. I hose mine out oh, wow. like all the time. Yeah. Um, as much as I can, I, you know, try to lift the mats up, even if I can only get them half up by myself or whatever, I try to clean them out mm-hmm. a lot because the ammonia sits in there. And mm-hmm. then especially in the hot weather, it can be really potent. And by the time you can smell it, it's already affecting yeah. your horses. Throat. Well, and I've even oh, noticed wow. that more recently, like I'm paying attention more now and I go in there and I'm like, Oh, if I can't even handle this, like my horse is in here for yeah. how long? That strong blow to your nasal yeah. passage from that. Yeah. But so, what do you think about like that hoof grip stuff where you can't take your mats out? Like, do you... um. So I, I mean, I, I don't want to be harsh on a product. <laughs> I, I'll kind of um bite my tongue a little bit in the sense that I do think it's a great product, and I think it's um a really good way for you know to deal with not or not have to deal with mats. Um, mm. And it's really great in the winter. And it, it is truly more grippy than the regular rubber mats. Two of my horses just slipped getting out of my trailer today, actually. Oh, no. um, just because they happened to, you know, not pay attention to what they were doing. Um, but the one thing I would have to say about it is you really, really have to wash it well. Um, because it's porous, it will hold on to a lot of urine. Um, and so if you kind of watch, when you're watching it, it takes a long time for the water to come clean. And I did used to own a trailer that, that had it. And I found it, I did fine with it at home. It was when I made a trip down to Montana. So my horses were on for 11 hours. Um, and we got there, I shoveled out the trailer and it was like 30 above. Um, the next morning I went to open the door to load my horses and literally like I had to run out of there. My eyes were burning so bad. And that was simply because they'd been on the trailer for 10 hours. I shoveled out all the manure, but the urine was still there. Hmm. And so it just kind of baked Mm -hmm. in the sun. Um, and so it's really, really important to hose your trailer, no matter what material, what Mm -hmm. matting you have. Um, wood is another one like wood will hang on to a lot of urine so you just have to be diligent about cleaning it and I mean my summer Mm -hmm. students that's like they know that when we arrive somewhere the horses get unloaded and they usually get straight to hosing the trailer up yeah (laughs) if if you're going to an event like so for us to go to Pinoca it's like what Mm -hmm. five six hours Mm -hmm. so when you get there would you just take some buckets and even and throw buckets in there just to kind of drain it yeah like literally anything anything you can do that's gonna help yeah um and i'm not super opposed to shavings it's a little bit horse dependent some horses are super sensitive to shavings um and some aren't in general, they're not super allergenic so long as you kind of do everything right. So don't put the shavings in right before your horse gets on the trailer because you know how they have all yeah. those fine particles that usually you wind up inhaling as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I'll, if I have to take a longer haul, I will, like when we went down to Arizona, I will put some shavings in. 
um, knowing full well that there's a chance my horses might flare up a bit from that. So I do some other things preventatively, but put them in the day before so that all the dust can settle. Try to not use a ton. Um, like I usually put soft rides on my horses instead of like piling a ton of shavings in. Mm. Um, and you can even spray them down a bit. So say you need to put some in, but you need to load right away, try to spray them down. Um, yeah. And that way, when you're doing those longer trips, at least some of the ammonia or the urine is getting soaked up and you can clean it out. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really good products in the States, actually, that you can sprinkle on urine that can, you know, dissipate some of that smell. I'm really hoping that we can, you know, get some more of that type of thing up here but anything you can do like if you can you know dump a few buckets whatever you can do to try to get it cleaned out just you know you do your best essentially yeah um like just speaking of preventative stuff in uh in terms of our environment and then cleaning out the horse trailer and then like furthermore Mm -hmm. going into like checking on on your on your young horse um getting like a scope or a bal like, when do you start yeah. implying all this with your young ones? Like, is it, you know, once they, you know, actually start hauling and running, that's when you would, you would really want to mm-hmm. evaluate everything or is it, you know, right from the get go? Um, so I think in terms of, you know, a lot of the environmental preventatives, you should just be doing it anyways, even mm-hmm. if you've never had a bleeder, which I can tell most barrel racers that say I've never had a bleeder that it's probably not true. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah, think, no kidding. You know, like bleeding is so common. There's actually, Bruno and I um, did a prevalence study a few years ago now, and like 82.5% of horses that we scoped in that study had bled. And some of those were just loping the pattern. So, you know, it, it's very, very common, and there's certain arenas in this province that it's more prevalent in. Um, so I think you should just always assume, and Mm -hmm. even, you know, when I bought my now five-year-old, um, last fall, I, I just assumed, you know, I even scoped her. I did everything I needed to do on my pre-purchase exam, but I treated her the same as I treat all my horses that have previously bled. So I don't feed round bales ever. There's tons of research showing that round bales are not okay for horses lungs the the mold spores in them even if you can't see them um are always significant enough that they're going to trigger an inflammatory response in your horse mm-hmm. um so i'm pretty strict about that and i mean as far as you know being a, a vet goes <laughs> I, i'm not super pushy about a lot of things but that is like one of my hard and fast rules mm-hmm. you will not win the battle um if your horse is on a round bale so, so that's a really big one. I have a quick question about the round bale. So are you talking mm-hmm. just for performance horses or say you have like a herd of brood mares? Would they be Just okay? performance horses. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think on average, most horses that aren't, you know, you're not asking for their maximum and yeah. even, you know, a lot of other horses that do other sports where they don't have to literally run their guts out, Mm -hmm. they can do just fine. I just really think that if you want to win Mm -hmm. in the barrel racing and you want your horse's lungs to, you know, maintain over a rodeo season, I Mm -hmm. mean, think of all the challenges that they have that we can't avoid. Dusty barrel races, the horse trailer, like there's so many things that you can't control. So why not try to control the ones you can? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, 
um, hay steamers or cubes are kind of your your ultimate choices. Mm-hmm. Um, I feed all my horses cubes. I have now for like six or seven years, um, and they do great. Yeah. It's you know, at the end of the day, it's actually easier for me to feed, um, and they're easier to transport, and they're just more reliable. Not to say I haven't had like a a bad bag of cubes, but mm-hmm. overall, I've just had a lot better luck, and there's more consistency in them. Um, so that's like my only soapbox. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. I think, anyways. But I feel pretty <laughs> strongly about that, and I, I mean, you can imagine I have some clients, including some family members that I've battled for years about rent. <laughs> um, and yeah, I finally won, <laughs> but. That being said, like to family dinner, yeah, like even over in Europe, some of the universities, like they don't even allow horses to be fed hay anymore. That isn't deemed like it's super, super strict because there's just so much evidence for it now. Um, And you know, when you have a horse that's worth a couple million dollars, which some of the ones over there, the Grand Prix horses and stuff, they are. So I'm sorry, but buy your horse a two thousand dollar hay steamer so that it can feed. It can be fed proper feet <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah so, that, that's peanuts compared to what they pay for those horses <laughs> exactly yeah so I mean it's I know it's a challenge with our winters and everything and and I can understand you know if the horse is having the winter off and you're you know that you got a round bale in the feed and it or out in the field and it's more convenient for you but in terms of like you know competing during the season I just don't I really don't think it's worth it because you're going to wind up struggling on the other end of it um so that's really important to me and then the horse trailer which we already talked about and then probably the anxiety is another big preventative um so when we talk about young horses I think I think you just have to be familiar with the signs before I mean I don't think every three or four year old has to be scoped or has to be had to be have a BAL done or anything I mean, I don't do that with mine, but Mm -hmm. as soon as I get a little bit of an inclination that something might be up, I try to get to the bottom of of it so that I can have an idea um, going forward Mm -hmm. what I need to deal with with that horse. Um, So, I mean, for example, my own five-year-old, I have one that she just kind of started blowing her nose a lot and I, you know, I couldn't really figure out... um, any change in her environment but I scoped her and she just had like the tiniest bit of mucus um, but her throat was inflamed so what I learned about her is that it really doesn't take much inflammation for her to blow her nose a lot Um, so when she's blowing her nose I don't need to freak out that she's full of inflammation Mm -hmm. Um, but also she has a really inflamed throat and that bothers her and that's super common in young horses so that's something we can treat and manage um, because with inflamed throats then you can get other problems such as displacing which leads to bleeding which leads to horse not wanting to go in the arena and retiring from barrel racing so. <laughs> well, and they become uh, a bulldog and horse or something yeah. Just yeah like it's just this it's this vicious cycle where you know once you start to see those signs it rarely gets better it usually gets worse so i would say as soon as you're kind of starting to you know, see some respiratory things happen or your horse starts even like blowing off barrels or being a bit dishonest, all it takes is a conversation, you know, make an appointment, say, 
look, my horse has started doing this. I want to give it the benefit of the doubt um, that it's not a training thing. Um, and a lot of the time, even if it's not, you know, 100% a medical thing, there's usually things that we can work on or there's things that we can prevent. So mm-hmm. um, I would suggest kind of as soon as you get a horse running and competing and if there's a couple things you're uncertain or unhappy with, then have a horse looked at, especially if it's a really good prospect. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It doesn't hurt. And it's not, I mean, respiratory stuff is not super expensive. Like scopes aren't that expensive. Um, yeah, EALs aren't even that surprised. bad. <laughs> yeah. Because a lot of people, you know, they think of going to the vet as injections, which are, you know, one of the things that are more pricey um, mm-hmm. when dealing with rodeo horses. Um, or barrel horses in general, but respiratory stuff is not typically, you know, you're not having to budget for it too much because, um, a scope is inexpensive and it's fairly quick. And the biggest thing is just having a conversation with your vet about, you know, a plan going forward. And it's super meaningful. It's probably the most meaningful conversation you're going to have for that horse's future. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's just my bias. <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of mentioned a few things like in the arena, maybe blowing off the pattern, not wanting to go in. If you're talking to somebody that's maybe never had a respiratory issue before, what are like some other signs that maybe they should get their horse checked out? Um, coughing. Coughing. Okay. <laughs> coughing yeah. is like, I don't know how many times I've heard, you know, yeah, my horse coughs once or twice, but you know, then he's fine. Mm -hmm. A horse shouldn't cough. If a horse is coughing, there's a reason. Um, So the second that one of my horses is coughing, um, usually I'm prepared for that horse to potentially bleed. I'm prepared to potentially give that horse some time off. Um, I just need to get to the bottom of it. I never ignore any cough, especially the coughs that are happening. Like if they're just in their pen coughing, then I'm concerned. Um, every now and then you have a horse that, um, literally will cough once or twice every, you know, few rides just at the beginning. Um, and, and owners kind of say to me, yeah, but it's super infrequent. It still means something to me because they're, they're coughing for a reason. So that's probably number one on the list. Um, because usually a horse, there has to be something significant before they cough. Horses are not just, you know. They don't just cough for fun. Um, so that's a big one. Blowing their nose a lot. So some horses aren't big coughers in the sense that, you know, I have one horse where he has to be like chock full of mucus before he'll cough. Um, but what he will do prior to getting bad enough to cough is he'll blow his nose a lot, especially after a run. If he's bled, he'll blow his nose. Um, coughing after a run is like 99% of the time they've bled. Um Shutting down, so if you're, you know, your horse is really firing and then at some point in their run, they just power out, that's a good sign. Um, if they aren't clocking, so if your horse has been really consistent, especially, you know, in arenas they're familiar with, and then all of a sudden you have, you know, four or five tenths less, sometimes that's your only sign. Actually, Springsteen, mm-hmm. who right now is dealing with kind of a mild pneumonia, that was my only sign with him. He was otherwise fairly normal I mean looking back now I think there were some other signs that I was just kind of too busy to notice but 
that was the most obvious to me. He'd make these perfect runs and then he'd just be super slow and he wouldn't run home. Oh, um, yeah. which is a pretty good sign to me. And then, yeah, any, you know, really kind of nasty behavior where they're like, nope, I'm not doing this. Um, if they don't want to go in, uh, if they're blowing off barrels, if they, a horse that displaces when they're running, um, I've only been on a horse once when I'm pretty sure that's what happened, but they almost feel like they totally like lose their mind in the sense that they don't even know what they're doing anymore. Like it felt like my horse was either going to fall down or hit the wall because it's so distracting to them. Um, some of them will tip their nose up, kind of throw their head and spit the bit. Oh, um, yeah. yeah those are the main ones that I can think of right now. Um, but some horses are super weird. Like there's, there's some weird things that horses have done all because of respiratory stuff. So I kind of have a quick little personal question here. And I know it's probably hard <laughs> to answer over a podcast, but just something because maybe someone has a young horse like me that like I've started this horse from ground up and she's had about like three rides on her. But then I kicked her out and let her grow for a little bit, even though she grew way too much. Like, she's huge. And then brought her back in. And uh, now, well, I brought her in the one day, and I hauled her about 45 minutes to an arena. And this was after she had her teeth done and everything. And she had a little bit of mucus, like, like um, mucus coming out of her mouth. And I've never <laughs> noticed that before. It was, like, foamy. So what would foamy right. mean? Um... Honestly, I don't have an like it was just coming out of her mouth, not her nose. No, not her nose, just her mouth. Yeah, I that can be a couple different things. Um, but sometimes it can be related to in general, they have more inflammation. Usually, because horses are built a little bit different than us, mm -hmm. um, respiratory mucus just comes out their nose. Oh, okay. Um, but there can be, you know, usually when it's mouth related it would be something where you probably should take a look in her mouth okay she might have developed um some ulcers or something um sometimes plants can do that and they can get foamy there's some bits that can cause that mm -hmm. there's you know different reasons for hypersalivation but i don't know if i would say that that's for sure a respiratory okay. situation yeah but for sure the horses where they've got kind of the whitey mucus coming out of their nose especially after exercise mm -hmm. that would be an indication that there's inflammation and as they start moving it it starts moving and coming out their nose okay well that's good to know because yeah. I, I thought for like i guess kind of like us that our respiratory is related to our mouth yeah horses but, are a little bit different it's yeah. quite a bit um more separated in them yeah um but there's a chance that i mean some horses that displace their palate a lot which is common in young horses because they get inflamed throats and secondarily they displace their palate. Sometimes they'll foam a bit more. Mm -hmm. um, that's kind of been, you know, that's just anecdotal. I like, there's no science behind that, but I've, I have seen that a little bit. Mm -hmm. um, and just, you know, sometimes just a change in, in their environment can, can do weird things like that. I once had a whole bunch of horses foaming at the mouth. And then I realized that the bottle of butte that I was giving them this was like before I was even a vet um something was wrong with it and if they actually all had ulcers on their tongue oh. um, from the butte so I don't know it was like a bad bottle or something <laughs> happened but oh, so I yeah. always check horses mouths when they're foaming yeah. um one other thing that I didn't mention that is super important is noise 
So if your horse all of a sudden is like loping around and is super loud and making weird noises, Mm -hmm. that's for sure something to get checked out. Mm -hmm. Okay. And is it like the typical like... I'm okay with that, but... But, you know, even if they, even if they're making a noise like that and we decide it's normal, it's still worth looking Looking into because, um, you know, there could be a subtle noise aside from just blowing their nose that's important, or they could, you know, start blowing their nose because things are closing their airway. Um, when in doubt, it's worth checking it out. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that's a good little saying. Yeah. And it rhymes. Yeah. Yeah. Came up with that. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I mean, I love appointments where I can be like, no, it's all good. This horse yeah. is normal. Yeah. It's yeah. okay to, you know, go get it checked out. Um, we invest a lot of money in our horses. Exactly. So, you know, a vet a appointment, you know, to do a scope and a, an exam is probably a couple hundred bucks most places you go. And, I mean, that's like a quarter of what you pay to enter a fraternity. So. Exactly. Yeah. But I think one thing to really keep in mind is once, once a horse is kind of triggered an inflammatory response to a pollen or something in their environment, they become hypersensitive. So Mm -hmm. a lot of these horses that have a bad, bad inflammatory response at some point in their life, Mm -hmm. usually you do, you know, battle that for their future. So that's kind of why I say get on top of this early so that you don't wind up with one of those horses that reacts to everything imaginable in their environment. Um, Because there are horses out there that have to be retired because, lungs just can't handle it anymore yeah um so you you want to you know start early so that you can manage it as appropriately as you can preventative is key probably yeah yeah whoever came up with the slogan or the saying as healthy as a horse was a liar (laughs) oh totally yeah totally (laughs) yeah that being said i mean there are freaks out there like I I do know some respiratory freaks that you know horses that can bleed like stuck pigs and they still just run their hearts out mm-hmm. um but that's kind of the exception to the rule and I usually tell people that are you know mid panic about their horse bleeding and they've never had a bleeder before and I just say to them it just means you're running a fast horse <laughs> because, <laughs> yeah you know any horse that tries hard for you um in that you know, you start winning on their likelihood of bleeding is a lot higher and their likelihood of even those tiny percentages of their lung that are, you know, inflamed, that's going to become more and more important because you're asking them for their life. Mm -hmm, So, you know, those peewee horses out there that are trotting around, you know, if they let out a couple coughs, it's okay. But, you know, ask the horse to run 1D time, especially in how you know, how competitive things are right now, they can't be coughing. <laughs> like, yeah. It's mm-hmm. just, you're not going to win. And if you are, your horse is a freak. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. and let me know what it's bred like and where you got it. Because <laughs> and if it has any full siblings. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> exactly. Because, I mean, I am like crazy about respiratory stuff. And I will openly admit that every single horse I own has some degree of respiratory issue. Yeah. They all do. Yeah. It's yeah. just figuring out each horse. Well, I even remember when I was young and like, you know, you don't know any of this kind of stuff. Like I was probably like 16, 17 and my horse coughed all the time and he had fluid coming out and he had this and he had that. And you were just like, eh, 
whatever. Sometimes you didn't want to go in yes. or whatever. You're just like, <laughs> well, you're young. You don't, you know, I know. It's, you, everyone it's so goes true. through that phase where this, like with the social mm-hmm. media, the way it is right now and the available information that are, is on the internet or podcasts or whatever. Now it's yes. like spreading or shedding light on these kind of issues mm-hmm. that when it was like, what, like 15 years ago and you're young, you yeah. just, you didn't understand. Nobody knew. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And we're, we're doing more diagnostics. So we're scoping a lot more horses. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, back to Renault, who for anybody who doesn't know, he is like the respiratory guy around here. So he's a professor at the university of Calgary. He's the sports medicine chair at the university of Calgary. Um, and he is actively researching all around the world. Like, he is flying to Qatar and he's in Washington all the time and he's all over the place. So cool. I think he was in Dubai not that long ago. <laughs> oh, um, wow. Studying like literally all respiratory type syndromes as well as figuring out um, the capacity of horses lungs and how we can test that and improve it. So fitness, um, he's doing a lot with fitness. Um, but he, he really started looking at barrel horses back when I was, in first and second year vet school. And since then, um, there's a lot of researchers doing a lot more for barrel horses because Mm -hmm. we're realizing that it's so, so prevalent. And prior to this, we only really had kind of mostly racehorse information, Mm -hmm. um, which is different than us because they race like once every couple of weeks. So one of the big differences is Lasix, obviously. Um, We often have to Lasix our horses multiple times in a weekend, Mm -hmm. um, which is you know, not ideal. And Lasix is not the most, you know, side effect free drug. So there is like the battle is on right now for everybody to try to find something better than Lasix um, that's safer, but just as effective. And so far, I mean, there are tons of people. That's why when I hear about, you know, this magic bleeding preventative, I'm like, I just text Renault and I'm like, have you heard of this? And he'll be like, nope. And then to me, that means it's not you know, technically Legit. proven yeah. because he would know about it because yeah. he is at the forefront of all of this research. Um, and trust me, they're working hard to try to find you know, more he, options, more preventative. Wasn't he telling us at the seminar about some magic drug that was going to be coming out this year? I don't think it was a drug. I think it or was like was a device it? or something that you could put on. Your- He's talking about a type of nebulizing device yeah. where you can oh, actually okay. like nebulize throat spray. Yeah. He's super, super jacked about that. <laughs> yeah. He was really excited. <laughs> was like like he was. Yeah. Yeah. It's going to be yeah, coming he, out. I mean, so wait for that. <laughs> he's incredibly passionate about it, which is, yeah. you know, super cool. I can call him up at any time with, you know, a challenging or unusual case. And he always wants to hear about it and be a part of it. And yeah. so he's a really big part of kind of like my, you know, network of people mm-hmm. I talk to a lot um, mm-hmm. and is a really good friend. And so he's, he's a pretty neat guy and he is definitely going to be coming out with some good evidence and or good products and good evidence for the products in the, yeah. in the near future. Yeah. We're lucky to have him on our barrel racing side. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I kind of do have. You can a, put up with the crazy. Yeah, I kind of do have a question. Like I don't know when I was at the serum seminar, and they were doing like the treadmills with the horses running on them. Like, yeah. is this a video? Yeah, the video. Like, how, how does that work? Like, has a horse ever fallen or like what? Like, how does like that like literally cross my mind? I was like, how are these horses like not freaking out running on a treadmill hooked up to all these machines? Like that is some intense research. 
Yeah. Well, I guess and they don't I use mean, that as I much think... anymore because they have the backpack stuff now, right? Yeah, yeah, they they used to just do dynamic soaps like that. So the advantage to backpack is you don't have to train a horse to go on a treadmill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and that works well for, you know, the racing horses that are just doing, you know, they're doing a straight run. But in in the barrel racing world, it's and actually in a lot of different events, even raining and cutting and everything, it's super important that when you put that scope in, you try to do exactly what that horse does to mm-hmm. compete. So doing a dynamic scope and just kind of loping around the arena i mean you can get some information but the best information is to actually like do it at a jackpot yeah. and make a run on that horse mm-hmm. um that I gives you out. the most information I feel like i get bucked off with that piece of equipment on my back Same. and i owe a lot of money yeah <laughs> i know it's kind of it's kind of hard to ride with i'll have to say um <laughs> yeah. it kind of bangs around on your back and <laughs> doesn't feel so great but it uh is definitely worth it and i mean Mm -hmm. even if it's a messy run or whatever it doesn't matter you're gonna get a lot of information and we actually get a ton of information even prior to the run like in the warm-up and yeah as the horse goes in the arena um and it can be super helpful to kind of make a plan for your horse and figure out the trigger points like where this horse is collapsing it their way where it's placing um like we can be watching the camera or the video screen and be predicting what the horse is doing. So for example, Renoa and I were just talking about one he did the other day where he'd be looking at the screen and he knew exactly when the rider made that horse bridle up and collect because he would collapse his airway. Hmm. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Which is common. A lot of, a lot of kind of, you know, hotter horses that tuck their neck up a lot. Um, they're, they actually will collapse their airways when they mm. do that. So I've changed a little bit of my training style, I think, over the years. Mm-hmm. I let them be a little bit more stretched out because I've learned from dynamic scopes that that's when they have their best airway. Yeah, that's cool. And then, too, just dealing with the anxiety. So, you know, you see a horse go into the arena and its throat is all clamped down. And the owner's like, oh, he feels super calm. Well, no, he's not. <laughs> He's just a really good liar. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, no kidding. I mean, I, I always remind people horses are prey species. So when they're in a, a new and strange environment and they're maybe a bit uncomfortable, they're not necessarily going to show it. Mm-hmm. Um, some might, like, you know, my one five-year-old is like, he'll let you know when he's upset. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but some of them really hide it. And some of the older, more experienced horses, you know, they don't show any stress and they're, they're super stressed. So mm-hmm. lots of good information. And same thing, like a dynamic scope is less than 500 bucks. It's not oh, wow. super expensive. I thought it would have been a lot more than that, actually. Mm-hmm. And if, No, no, they're reasonable for sure. If our listeners um, don't know what that is, be sure to give it like a YouTube or a Google just so you can see what we're yeah, talking about. Yeah, yeah, because it is a really, really interesting um, form of research. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's been super valuable. Standing scope, you know, even if you don't have access to a dynamic scope right off the bat, we usually start with a standing scope um, and often can find a lot of issues that way. And if we don't, then we'll either move on to doing a BAL or maybe doing a dynamic scope, depending on how the horse is presenting. And sometimes you have to do all of those things before you plus experiment with, you know, some bits and some treatments and environmental things and Sometimes it takes time um, 
to figure out a protocol. I mean, I have one horse that it probably took me two years to really mm-hmm. find her triggers. Like I battled with her for a long time. And then, you know, now I kind of know that she's really bad with pollen and mm-hmm. the horse trailer ammonia is like a no-go zone for mm-hmm. her. But that took mm-hmm. a while to narrow it down. Yeah. yeah. Well, that should make people feel better because I know that some people feel defeated after, you know, like a year or, you know, yeah, like you said, mm-hmm. two years trying to figure out what the heck's going on. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what, like you're a yeah. veterinarian and, you know, you deal with the same uh-huh. thing. Sometimes yeah. it just takes yeah. a little bit of time and yeah. investigation. And, yeah. And I mean, some horses are just, they like to be a pain in the ass. So they're going to mm-hmm. make you question everything you're doing and make you spend all the money on all the toys <laughs> and all the things and still you know, be a pain in the butt. But mm-hmm. at the end of the day, most of them, we do figure them out. And that being said, no horse is going to be a hundred percent. You know, as soon as you yeah. figure that horse out, it doesn't mean it's easy breezy. Um, you know, you'll have that horse figured out and then you'll go to a rodeo and something will, you know, trigger it and it'll be bleeding badly again for a couple of weeks or something like it mm-hmm. is kind of an endless battle. Mm-hmm. Um, which is why the preventative part is so important. So you can just do, I love the people that come to me and they're like, yeah, I haven't done anything. And then I'm like, yes, I have so many options that'll hopefully <laughs> fix this horse. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. When I see one where they're doing everything right and the horse is still coughing and bleeding, I'm like, Oh God, what are we going to do now? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, no, Let me go into my magic hat yeah. and pull something out. Yeah, exactly. Get a new horse. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> So we were talking about the importance of an, of the environment. Um, so let's talk about if a horse's environment is improved, can the respiratory system usually bounce back quickly or is there permanent damage often done from having bad environments for a period of time? Oh, that's a bit of a tough one because I had opinions kind of going both ways. Mm-hmm. Um, depending on how quickly you catch it, I think that they can bounce back fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, however, I have learned that the barrel racers expectation is that they will win the rodeo tomorrow. <laughs> so, um, and I, I have to kind of joke because in, when I go to vet conferences and stuff, there's like barrel racers are kind of notorious for like wanting things fixed right now. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, which I think is kind of funny, but it's so true. Like we, you know, we go to a jackpot and things don't go well. We kind of want to be able to enter the next one and like have the problem fixed. Yeah. With respiratory stuff, I try to tell people you have to be, you have to be patient. And I'm not talking years in most cases, but definitely probably at least a few weeks. Um, especially like, for example, if you're starting to run a horse on LASIK, every horse responds to LASIK differently. You have to really kind of play around with your dose. Um, to get it right for that horse. And that can take a whole rodeo season, even for me, you know, even for somebody who has a ton of experience with this stuff and understands the science behind it, it takes me a lot of runs to kind of understand what dose my horse needs, what timing it needs. Um, so I think that recovery can be quick so long as the damage isn't too bad. Um, horses that get full-blown pneumonia and get really sick Actually, there's quite a few studies um, on foals that get really bad pneumonias when they're really young, and typically their race careers are not affected. So um, most of those studies are in racehorses, and they actually go on to have just as many starts and just as many wins as a, a foal that never had a pneumonia. 
So I do think that the lungs have a good capability of bouncing back. Um, that being said, you know, you never know which bleed is going to be the really bad one or which, you know, flare up of inflammation is going to be a big struggle to deal with. Or, mm-hmm. you know, if your horse is going to wind up with pneumonia that one time that it gets super inflamed. Um, so I know that's kind of not a, a direct answer to the question, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say, I tell people not to panic. You know, people that have had, never had a bleeder and then they all of a sudden have one and they just think, oh my God, my horse's lungs are damaged. That's not the case. They actually absorb the blood within like a couple hours. Um, they can bounce back really fast. And the damage, although there is some scarring happening as the vessels heal, um, that can remodel and become, you know, a normal vessel again. It just all depends on the severity and the chronicity. So how long something's been going on for um, versus, you know, catching it early and getting it under control early, your chances of, you know, winning that battle and having less chronic damage are much better. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have one more question. Kind of when we were talking about the bales, like feeding round bales, and you said, okay, if you give your horse... Um, the winter off like it's not that big a deal um so if you do do that like should you be getting your horse scoped or maybe bal done just to see if there was any inflammation like even though you weren't riding them hard or anything could there still yeah. be inflammation there that you want to take care of before you do ride for sure so i mean if Ideally, they don't go on the round bales at all, but if they are, you're going to get inflammation. And so you need to be prepared to manage that early on in the season. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, start early and get them onto a more regular plan um, with, you know, cubes or steamed hay or whatever it may be. Um, And then I wouldn't say that you necessarily have to scope them, but it certainly wouldn't hurt to, you know, before you enter your first big race, have a look in there. I mean, Mm -hmm. some people who've had enough of these horses have a really good instinct as to how their horse is doing. Mm -hmm. Um, So for example, I do scope my own horses, but I don't scope them a ton because once I've scoped them once or twice, I really get to know how that horse's throat and lungs operate. And I, you know, am able to pay attention to the other signs, such as them blowing their noses or coughing or whatever it may be. Um, but if you're unsure, then it's definitely worth having the horse looked at. I mean, I think pre-season evaluations are the most important for the season. Start off with your horse happy. Um, for sure, lameness wise, I think it's worth, even if you don't have to have any injections or anything done, see where your horse is at, see which, you know, joints you maybe need to keep an eye on. Um, the other thing that I really like incorporating into a preseason evaluation is just having a discussion about your horse's fitness. Um, and I have to say as a general population, us barrel racers are, and it's not, it's nobody's fault because we don't have really good guidelines of how to get these horses fit. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, people like Renault are working on that. Um, but we can help you with that. Like as a vet, we can give you an idea of, things that your horse is going to need to maintain or work on to stay sound um, and whether or not, you know, their lungs are fit as well. So I talk a lot about that in preseason evaluations as well as 
you know, joints to keep an eye on and you can just make a really good plan for your season um, so that you aren't going in blind and you're not, you know, starting. So the season starts and you make a few runs and you're like, holy crap, I've got a problem. Well, that problem might take the whole season to figure out. So you're better to get a handle on it early. Mm -hmm. Um, So I try to get my clients to be in a habit of, you know, you don't necessarily have to do it before you enter, but maybe go to a couple of jackpots, feel things out, and then have your horse evaluated prior to, you know, things really kicking up and you hauling your horse a lot. Okay. Yeah. Um, So another thing you had mentioned um, for respiratory issues was maybe playing around with bits. And you had mentioned using a ported bit, like uh, trying those on horses, like different sizes of ports when Mm -hmm. you're running just for their soft palate and like, cause they push, maybe push up with their tongue, but with a port, they might not. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm still working on trying to understand what, and I think the reason why I've, I've had trouble kind of figuring that out is because it's super complex and every horse is different. Mm-hmm. Um, I, and my one horse really kind of got to thinking, I think, you know, when he has a port, he has somewhere to put his tongue um, and for a horse that's very active with his tongue when I'm riding, which I found out on a dynamic scope, um, it was, it was good because he wasn't, he wasn't constantly pushing on the bit, but I don't think that that's a hard and fast goal. I think okay. there's horses that are the other way around too. So, and there's certainly horses out there like Renault and I had a case quite a few years ago now, the horse wouldn't go in the arena for like a year and a half. Like it was painful Um, this girl was super discouraged and she started running the horse in half more and he just walked right in. Like literally the first time she put a half more on at a jackpot, the horse walked in. It was crazy. And I think that's super unusual. It's next to never that easy. Um, but she deserved that. That girl deserved that simple answer because Mm -hmm. it, I felt so bad for her. Um, but it's, it's for sure worth a shot to change. I mean, that's something simple to change. And it's funny because Renault's always like, yeah, just run the horse in a hackamore. And I'm like, okay, Renault, I'll just let you get on my dash of fame that, <laughs> you know, doesn't really know what it's doing and without a bit and just go for it. And he's like, oh, yeah, you just, you know, turn Good the barrel. <laughs> <laughs> <Having time. laughs> so I'm kind of like, it. you know, there's a lot to, there's a lot um, to think about with mm-hmm. bits in terms of you know training and you know the whole aside from the medical aspect of it but I always tell people it's worth a try yeah. because you know you can have a horse that's a lot more comfortable not so as soon as they're really playing with their tongue and lifting their tongue um, they're often lifting their palate which mm-hmm. can result in them blocking some of their airway or maybe even displacing so um and sometimes you can do a lot for the, their anxiety, actually. So I actually, one of my horses that used to close her throat a lot when I was warming her up, so to the point where she didn't have any air left when I ran her, I would either warm her up in a halter or I would just lunge her or something because as soon as I put that bit in, it was like, it's go time, and she would oh. try to close her airway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just tried to do that at the last minute. So. Those are all things that are a bit trial and error, yeah. but it's certainly something to play around with. And then, I mean, there's always there's always medical options for anxiety as well, mm-hmm. <laughs> just mm-hmm. like there yeah. are for us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, which I don't think anybody should be shy about, um, you know, trying some of the different 
a calming agent um, because it can be great for horses' anxiety, which can make them breathe better, therefore, you know, be happier to barrel race and mm-hmm. not bleed as much. Yeah. Um, and I think, too, feeding, I mean, there was a there was a, a year, I think two years ago, everybody was, like, super pumped about this one type of feed, and all these horses were, like, jacked up. And everybody wanted sedatives from me <laughs> because <laughs> the horses were like yeah. wild. Like, <laughs> yeah, which I was like, why does your horse need all these drugs? Like, what is happening? Um, and so I usually tell people, like, take a look at your diet, too. Like, take yeah. a look at your, you know, how much sugar are you feeding your horse? Usually these high-powered barrel horses, especially when they're on grass, they really don't need a lot more. And you can <laughs> give them their vitamins. And everything else and their supplements, you know, in low starch, no sugar um, compounds like rice bran or something like that so that they're not getting a ton of strain. Mm-hmm. Um, I, my dad always calls it like killing them with, with kindness. <laughs> but <laughs> I think like we're killing ourselves. We feed our horses up and then, you know, we can't handle them or we yeah. can't stand them. So. Oh, no. Yeah. Um, it's all like it's literally every component of your horse's program mm-hmm. is contributing to the end game. So you have to look at everything. And I mean, there's still probably things I'm forgetting to think about. Um, yeah. So it's, it's always a conversation and talk to your friends. And, um, you know, you don't always have to call me because you're like there's barrel racers out there that have been through this. And, you know, you might just pick up a little tidbit or you might not. Um, but there's a lot to learn so if you've never had a respiratory horse and all of a sudden you do just you know do as much research mm-hmm. as you can and then pick through it and see what works best for your horse and once you have one then you'll realize they're all respiratory horses <laughs> exactly <laughs> yep pretty much every single one of them because they're horses and yeah that's yeah. how it works but i mean that being said i don't think I mean, I've been very discouraged about a lot of horses because it can get frustrated, frustrating at times because it's, it's not an easy fix. But the the other side of it is I've had horses that, you know, clients have struggled with for years. And then we literally do one thing and it's like they're winning rodeos. Mm-hmm. Like it, it can be such an easy fix for, you know, such an ongoing challenge, yeah. which, you know, who, how is it not worth? How is a couple hundred bucks not worth? you know, dealing or paying to deal with that issue when yeah. you've been frustrated for a couple of years even. Yeah, for sure. So it's always worth it to dig deeper, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it might cost you a little and money, but not... you also learn so much. I learn mm-hmm. so much at any totally. vet appointment that I go to. Absolutely. And um, one good resource that I kind of share with people to direct, you know, their Google searching Mm-hmm. <laughs> because we all do that is um renault has a website it's the fewcalgary.ca slash horse health and he has um a good respiratory section on there and you know even if you want to go into you know more detail about a specific topic he does kind of outline the things that we just talked about today and so you know there's good references of papers you can read and it's just a good starting point so that you can, instead of just like Googling bleeder, you mm-hmm. can, you know, search the right terms and search 
kind of some more specific things and actually read the really good literature out there. Because you have to remember, it's a money-making industry for a lot of companies, just like the gastric ulcer industry. I mean, how many supplements are there out there for ulcers? Yeah. Like, it just makes my head spin. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, you just, you kind of have to be a little bit careful. Um, But the other thing you can do is you can always, you know, shoot us an email or your your vet an email um, and just ask, do you think this is a viable option for my horse? And we can help guide you. Cool. Could we talk a little bit about preventatives that are kind of the hot topics right now? Um, Nebulizers and flare strips. Uh, What can you tell us about those and maybe if you use them in your own routine as a preventative? Yeah. So I'll start with flare strips. That's a little bit um, shorter, easier of a conversation. There is evidence for them helping. Mm -hmm. Um, And Renault puts it very simply when he explains to people the respiratory system um, and why the flare strips might help. So we talked earlier about how respiratory system is a limiting factor. There's not very much space for all the air to get into a big horse that they need anyways. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in Renault's mind, he thinks, you know, even if that flare strip helps that horse's passage of air 1%, that could be the 1% that could stop that horse from bleeding or improve the horse to the point where they're able to run faster. Mm-hmm. Um, in a lot of horses, that 1% might not be enough, but by all means, they have shown that, you know, there are benefits to using them. So I'm certainly not opposed. Mm-hmm. I think that it's not just like everything else. You have to do everything at once and kind of, you know, target every aspect of your horse and combine multiple modalities. Mm-hmm. Um but by no means do I look at someone with a flare strip and say like, oh, that's not doing anything because I think, I think they do do something. It's just in a lot of cases, it needs to be a part of a bigger program. Yeah, um, sure. And I certainly use them on my horses, you know, for the bigger races or if it's super humid out and the air is heavier or um, really big arenas, deep ground, um, by all means, I'll use them. I may be not as religious about them as I should be. Um, but definitely a good tool. And I think that, you know, every tool that has proper academic research that shows that it's effective is a tool that we should be trying to utilize. Especially when our sport is down to like hundredths of a second, right? Like exactly. I mean, that helps. could be you winning a rodeo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Like if I was going to the CFR of the Anifar, my horse would be wearing flare strips every single run. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like, why not? <laughs> yeah. And I'd make sure I match my outfit. No. <laughs> Coming from a person who doesn't even, like, I have a bright green and a bright pink sock on right now. <laughs> Probably wouldn't happen. <laughs> Life's too short to be match- wearing matching socks, right? <laughs> totally. Please tell that to my boyfriend. <laughs> so nebulizers are a bit more challenging of a conversation because, unfortunately, we don't have a ton of research. Oh, um, okay. We do have good research. Um, indicating that they, you know, they're a useful modality, especially on the human side of things. Um, You know, obviously nebulizers have been used for a lot of years. The problem with the research is we don't have a lot of evidence of how certain drugs work in the nebulizer, Mm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So, yes, we think nebulizers are great. What do we put in them? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 
we just don't have a lot, like we don't know the doses we should be using necessarily. We don't know um, when we should be doing, how much we should be doing it. So it's been fairly anecdotal in terms of how we're using them. And um, mostly it's just been from experience um, of trying to use them. And, and we use them definitely as like, you know, more of an add-on. So all of those people out there that, you know, don't want to spend that much money on a nebulizer, it's fine. Um, I use them more. So I don't use them religiously in the sense that, you know, I nebulize my horse once a week or twice a week before my runs or whatever. Um, I can never stick to a schedule like that. But if a horse needs it, I will do it. And so in cases that they need it, I think are mostly the cases where they're, you know, we scope them and their tracheas are just full of mucus. So it is not proven to prevent inflammation. Um, it's proven to help clear out inflammation. Okay. So by nebulizing your horse before all of your runs, I can't say for sure that it's going to prevent a problem every single time. Okay. I can say that if your horse is full of mucus and you're, you know, wanting to get that cleared out, I think that a nebulizer can speed up that process along with doing other treatments. Mm -hmm. So it's not going to tell your immune system to stop producing inflammatory cells. That's what the medications are for, what the puppers are for, what the environmental control is. All those things are going to tell the body to stop overreacting and producing tons of immune cells. Um, but the nebulizer, when you're trying to get your horse cleaned out, is probably very useful. And my first experiences using a nebulizer were during my internship, and we used them on pneumonias, and we put antibiotics in them. Mm. So it was a way for us, but we were also treating those horses systemically with antibiotics. So it was just a way for us to help try to clear out some bacteria and get some antibiotics directly into their lungs um, in the hopes that we would speed this along. But we actually don't know that mm. much about it okay so it's a bit of a tough one but I mean if you have a horse that consistently has mucus being built up it's worth the investment because I don't use it all the time but you know my horse that has a bit of an ammonia right now I did treat him for a few days with it mm -hmm. um or if a horse is super super full of mucus and you know it's the middle of a competition season and you want to try to get the that horse cleaned out as much as possible, then it's going to be useful. Mm -hmm. um, but in terms of like people say, you know, what's your nebulizer protocol? I don't really have one. It depends on the horse. Mm -hmm. Depends okay. what's going on. Um, so, yeah, that's a little bit more of a tough one. Renault did do some research a couple of years ago on putting decks in nebulizers. And, you know, the gist of that study is that um, you know, it's maybe helpful to try to um, maintain or um, go along with the treatment of a horse with inflammation, but the systemic deck, so injectable deck, was actually, is a lot more reliable. Oh, okay, that was another um, question, was nebulizing the decks. Yeah, yeah, so, and that's, I mean, Renault will even say we just don't have, that was kind of one of the first studies done on that, so... We just don't know how well these drugs absorb. We don't know how much to put in because the other risk is, okay, well, how much do they absorb and how many side effects are we going to get? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Because 
you know, there's a chance before you do this study, there's always a chance that you actually get more side effects from doing that. So the one thing that does actually have a bit more research and is considered the gold standard right now is the puffers. Um, okay. Okay. And the main reason for that is, is, um, we have the papers that show that those drugs get absorbed, you know, to a high enough level that they can, that they're treating the inflammation. And one benefit of them, really important benefit for some horses is you don't get a lot of systemic absorption. So certain horses that can't handle steroids, um, and that you would never dream of giving dex to in the muscle because they might founder, um, typically the puffers are safe for them. Mm. Um, because you don't have those systemic side effects and that then, can cause them to Do you think that it's as effective as Dex? Like the it, puppers? Yeah. Yeah. So actually, it's it's proven that it it probably is a little bit better. Okay. That being said, Dex is very effective. Mm-hmm. Um, so long as you know you. No, I don't. Just go giving their horses Dex. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Because there's a lot of things to consider. You need to make sure that your horse doesn't have an infection um, before giving them death because it suppresses the immune system. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the reason why we use deck so much is because it's really inexpensive. And the puffers can Are get expensive. very expensive when you're doing <laughs> when you're doing a whole protocol. So if yeah. you need to treat that horse with a steroid for like, you know, four weeks or something, the puffers are quite cost prohibitive prohibitive so what i usually do is if we have to do a full bone treatment to get a horse under control we'll do the deck um, but as more of a maintenance and an as on an as needed basis i'll use the puppers so mm-hmm. i think i would i would rather people prioritize the puffer over a nebulizer because it's a great thing to have in your trailer you can use it as needed just like people do um you know if if the horse is going to be exposed to some more allergens, then you maybe use it preemptively. Um, or if the horse is having a bit of a flare-up, you can do the puffers for a few days in a row instead of having to do a full-blown deck protocol again. Hmm. It's not reasonable for horses to live on deck. So no. these horses that are on the road that are consistently exposed to allergens, having a puffer in your trailer so that you can help that horse as quick as possible Um without keeping them on an immunosuppressant like Dex all the time, that's pretty valuable. And, I mean, if you really need to use a nebulizer, usually somebody's got one you can rent off of them. Um, a big caveat with nebulizers, you have to have to clean them really well. They can really transport a lot of bacteria. And they've actually found in humans that that's a huge risk of using nebulizers is um, contamination. So mm. you can pass them around, but make sure you disinfect them really well. Yeah, noted. And the the puffer chambers are quite inexpensive to get. Like it's, I think it's under two hundred dollars to get the chamber. And I've had mine for like seven years. You can oh, take wow. them apart and clean them and everything. Um, so it's pretty inexpensive. Whereas the um, nebulizers are a bit more of an investment. Um. So all the tools. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No kidding. So when you were talking about um, using a nebulizer, say if you're in the middle of a season and your horse is full of mucus, to use it to clean it out. Some people say Mm -hmm. they should nebulize like two hours before a run. Some say a day before to make sure all that gunk isn't just sitting there. What do you think 
is better? So this is mostly kind of my opinion. Like I said, um, we don't have a lot of research for Mm -hmm. it. And people have had, you know, good luck doing both, nebulizing close to runs and and not. In my opinion, I want to show up to the barrel race with my horse as cleaned out as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't want to be doing like last minute nebulizing because it's a process for things to to be cleaned out. And in, Mm -hmm. you know, and this, this might just be something I've, you know, made up in my brain, but I think that sometimes nebulizing it, when you bring up all that stuff right before a run, it can kind of be an irritant in their throat. Um, So if they're, you know, fairly full of mucus and some horses actually even cough more after they've been nebulized because, Hmm. you know, the mucus is all coming up. Um, So I like to do it if they need it. I think it should be done like, you know, multiple days before and you should do it, you know, quite consistently so that they're as clean as possible when they go to the barrel race. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not, you won't find me, you know, two hours before putting nebulizer on. First of all, I can barely make it, you know, (laughs) to my run as it is. Yeah, no kidding. Um, But I feel like it's almost like trying to cram for a test. You're not, you know, effectively getting rid of the chronic inflammation if you're just doing it last minute. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's why, you know, if you're going to do something like that, it's probably better to do kind of earlier in the week, feel comfortable that you've, you know, cleaned your horse out as much as you can. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, I don't think every horse needs to be nebulized on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, before the weekend because yeah. some of them just don't need it. Um, but I'm over the past couple of years, I've been reluctant to, you know, tell people to nebulize like right at a barrel race. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just, I just worry that you're going to kind of aggravate things a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, I would rather use the puffers and maybe throat spray and, you know, things that have more quick short term benefits. Okay. Do you think people can over nebulize? Is that a thing? I don't think so. No. I mean, maybe if you don't clean it enough and you mm-hmm. stuff your horse full of bacteria. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I just think at some point it kind of probably gets pointless yeah. because, you know, if you've really cleaned that horse out, what's the sense in, you know, continually bugging their airway um, if the horse has a pristine throat? And I mean, I've definitely had clients that I've scoped their horse and they've been super clean and they're like okay so keep nebulizing and I'm like oh I mean I have better things to do than nebulize my perfectly Mm -hmm. clean horse Mm -hmm. um so I don't necessarily think you can overdo it but I also think you probably could be focusing on other things Mm -hmm. rather than constantly nebulizing because it, it's a pain in the butt like it's yeah. time consuming yeah yeah um especially for a horse that you can't leave tied while she's getting it yeah <laughs> yeah um <laughs> yeah i definitely have trouble getting it done yeah i'd say jill is usually nebulizing my horses more than oh. i am <laughs> um i have one more little scenario for nebulizing um so <laughs> you say you like to do it a couple days before So for people who live, like I live on a gravel road and sometimes like no matter how slow I go, my horses are still dusty when I get to the barrel race. Would you like, do you still think you should not nebulize before or in that case, would you think it would be a good idea? I, 
I would probably use the poppers. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So typically what I do when I am about to hit the road, um, like in some horses that are super reactive on the trailer or, you know, you're just going into a weekend and you feel like your horse is not fully cleaned out. Mm -hmm. um, I use the puppers to essentially tell their lungs and their immune system to, to just calm down. So it's the same thing as, so we learn in vet school that if you try to give somebody like an allergy drug, if you know anybody who has bad allergies, if they're already reacting, when you mm -hmm. give them that reactant or whatever you give them, they're probably not going to do anything. You're actually mm -hmm. supposed to take antihistamines and everything before you yeah. are exposed oh, yeah. to whatever allergen. So it's the similar idea. You kind of, you know, you want to preemptively tell the horse's body, don't freak out over this tiny bit of mold okay. in my trailer because yeah. I didn't have time to clean it. Um, and, you know, just kind of make sure that your horse is clean um, or as clean as they can be by preventing it rather than clearing it out. Mm -hmm. So in your case, if you think you're going to be driving down a long gravel road, you might, you know, do the puppers before you load them on okay. the trailer. Yeah, that makes yeah. sense. And is that like, yeah. like there's different kinds. So is that like the bronchodilator or? No, that's, about the, the... That's, the, that's a steroid. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So the bronchodilator is, um, it's a very short acting effect. Mm -hmm. So typically we use that just before their run. Okay. Unless you've got like a really heavy horse that, you know, just really needs some relief, then we'll use them. But typically we don't use them regularly unless. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, you're doing it right before performance. Yeah. There's now this hasn't been proven either. And I kind of stopped saying it because I was like, I know that this isn't actually a thing, but I heard Renault say it the other day um, <laughs> under his breath a little bit, but we kind of have this feeling that if you give a bronchodilator, you're opening up their lungs to this environment that's going to potentially cause them to have an immune response. So do you want to be doing that all day, every day? Probably not. So you only really want to do that when they need it the most. So I typically only use them just prior to their run, mm -hmm. like literally 10 minutes before you run, they get it bronchodilator. Yeah. Okay. And I'm not religious about it, but same thing. If I was at the CFR, I'd be doing it 10 minutes before every run. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's good. Good info. Yeah, so that's not a science either, but there's just this feeling that having horses on bronchodilators unnecessarily is probably not beneficial. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay, if you recently discovered your horse was bleeding, maybe this is situational, maybe not. If you're going to like a barrel boot camp and you know you're going to work your horse pretty hard, it's just a one-day thing, you're going to work them pretty hard, but you're not actually making like a run, it's like a clinic when do you mm -hmm. when do you know you have to give LASIKs? Like, is it just for those competition runs, or will you give it if you're going to do a you know a fairly hard practice too? Um, typically, they have to have the exertion of a run to actually bleed. So, in most cases, no. I probably wouldn't LASIK the horse unless it's like you know you're doing a lot of fast work. It's a hot, humid day, um, or if it's you know, a horse that's a really bad, bad bleeder and you're worried, it certainly doesn't hurt. But me personally, I wouldn't do that. And I've worked a lot of my horses pretty hard that are bleeders and not Lasix them. Um, but as soon as you're doing fast work, I probably would be safe. Yeah. Okay. Okay. 
Um, tying up, can you an overview of what tying up is and how common it is in barrel horses? And are these horses that we might have to give Lasix to, are they a little more prone to it? So tying up is just basically where the horse's muscles are all kind of spasming mm-hmm. um, in general. That's the most simple way of explaining it. In relation to bleeding, so that's kind of another syndrome that comes with a whole plethora of, of other management tactics. Yeah. Um, probably as complicated as bleeding, I would say. Okay. But, and very horse specific, they're all different. But in terms of LASIXing them, I, I do not think that there's a direct correlation. Um, the only reason I would say horses might seem more prone to tying up on LASIX has a lot to do with um, exertion, the number of electrolytes the horse is losing with Lasix, um, and a bit of the dehydration. I don't think by giving your horse Lasix, you're necessarily going to make them more prone to tying up, um, but I think it gets that association pretty quickly because some of the problems that we see that cause tying up are things that Lasix might cause. Um, there's a lot of things that you can do to try to, um, prevent that, especially if your horse is prone to tying up. Um, and there's a lot of things you can do, especially with electrolyte supplementation that can make your horse manage getting mm-hmm. the Lasix a lot easier. I think sometimes some people confuse tying up with, so some horses kind of refuse to pee when they get Lasix. It mm-hmm. seems to be a mare thing. They like overthink it and they're, they feel like they get crampy. Um, and it's usually they're just fighting the urge to pee. And yeah. so that might seem like your horse is tying up. I had one like that and I just put her on the horse trailer and some shavings and she peed mm-hmm. and then she was fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but if, if you feel like, you know, this is something that's going to deter you from using Lasix, then, you know, you really need to have a good conversation, um, with your vet about managing that because I don't, I don't want your horse to bleed. So, yeah. you know, it's, Everybody's like, oh, it's a trade-off. Well, it's not. You need to figure out a way to manage both problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, in terms of simplifying it and saying it's like directly related, I would say no. Not really. Um, it's more complex than that. Okay. So what about giving Banamine prior to Lasix? If you want to give Banamine, you can give Banamine. But I don't think, once again, I don't think, you know, just because you're Lasixing your horse that it's going to tie up. So. Okay. Um, it wouldn't, to me, make sense that you mm-hmm. should be banamine, giving your horse banamine every time you Lasix. In fact, you probably shouldn't, mm-hmm. um, ideally, because Lasix dehydrates them and banamine and butte become more toxic in a horse that's dehydrated. So don't mm-hmm. just go doing that automatically. Like I said, if if your horse has an issue with tying up or isn't handling the Lasix well, that that is a more complex management program that you need to figure out versus, you know, just preemptively giving them some banamine. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, some people have said Lasix, they do IV. Some people have said IM. Do you have any opinions? IV. IV all the way? Yep. Okay. <laughs> That's a solid answer, <laughs> That's a good rapid fire answer. That was a yeah, good like rapid it. fire answer. Can yeah. you know why? No, yeah. it's IV. No. <laughs> That's it. I love doing IV. I don't have a problem with it, but some people like. To so <laughs> it's it's so Lasix is all about timing. So specific timing and specific dosage. Yeah. When you give a horse IV, you know that it's getting into that horse really quickly mm-hmm. and it's spreading through their body quite quickly. 
if you give it IM, the reason we give IM medications is because it actually causes slower absorption of that medication and it acts, we call it kind of the depot effect where it, it hangs out in their body longer. So for example, Dex, we often give IM, even though it can go IV, but when it goes IM, it'll sit in their system a bit longer. Um, but the absorption is a little bit more erratic or it'll, you know, in some horses I am, or, you know, one day it might absorb really fast and then your horse pees like that. And then the next time you, I am it, it, you know, takes three hours to pee. And then all of a sudden you're not getting your timing right. Um, and it might not absorb the whole, whole dose in time. So it's, it's more unpredictable. And with Lasix, we need to be super on the ball about, you know, our timing and our dose. Um, the other thing is horses can have reactions to any IM medication. You guys have probably heard, you know, the horror stories of butanbanamine going in the yeah. muscle, mm-hmm. um, which is a big no-no. And you have to keep that in mind for any IM injection that you're giving. There's more risk to it. Um, technically, more risk in general than there is IV, so long as you're not, you know, shoving Lasix in their carotid artery. <laughs> that, mm-hmm. That's easy to avoid Yeah, if you learn the correct way to give an IV injection. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm pretty, I'm hard and fast about that. I just don't think that you can manage these horses appropriately by giving it in the muscle. And frankly, I think it's a little bit too risky because I've seen some bad reactions. Okay. Yeah. Cool. I think that pretty much wraps up. So if uh, people want to get a hold of you to get their horse checked out or just learn a little bit more about Stanton Equine, where is the best place to look or call? Call my secretary. (laughs) (laughs) My office manager, Cassidy. Sounds good. And you're on you're on Facebook and you keep pretty up to date on there. (laughs) There are there are numerous ways of getting a hold of us. Um, definitely contact you before I run. Just kidding. (laughs) You can email us. Yeah, make sure that I'm like saddled and walking into my run and then that's probably the best. (laughs) For the best version of you. Yeah. 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 No, we, we have lots of ways. Honestly, email, you would think that we'd be super slow to get back to you on emails, but email is probably one of the best ways to contact us um, okay. because it's always easier to type out a response, you know, when we're sitting in the truck driving in between mm-hmm. appointments and stuff. Um, we really like emails. Facebook is fine. Um, you can text our number. We get super busy. And so you know, don't expect a response immediately. If you really have an urgent concern, pick up the phone and call. I know it like just kills some people to make a phone call, <laughs> but it still is a viable option for contacting somebody. And yeah, just let us know if it's more urgent. Um, but otherwise, uh, we definitely will get back to everybody within, you know, usually 24 hours. We're pretty, yeah. pretty good about getting back to you and making a game plan so and it's always I mean I always tell people kind of goes back to our conversation about the focus that we have so you know if you really are interested in figuring out what's going on with your horse and having a hundred percent of our attention an appointment is always the best Mm -hmm. um because you know that's the point in time that we've you know picked out during the day to focus a hundred percent on you and that's what we're going to do so, mm-hmm. you know, emails are great because usually I can sit down late at night and, and type out an answer um, and be, you know, more articulate and <laughs> type a better answer. But 
um, an appointment, that's where you're really going to get 100% of us. And we're going to be able to, I mean, there's not really a lot of simple questions. Usually, yeah. <laughs> usually there's a lot more to it, mm-hmm. even if it seems simple. Um, so I would just say, you know, try to try to make those appointments and, and get ahead of the game. And uh, that way you'll get get better, better work from us because we'll be able to focus on you. Mm-hmm. For sure. So we do like to end yeah. off our podcast with a lighthearted note. Um, do you have any funny or embarrassing stories that have happened either on the rodeo trail, fraternity trail, or at the vet clinic? Uh, off the top of my head. Oh, man. I mean, I've got a lot of rodeo stories that might not be appropriate because I've had some <laughs> pretty amazing um, traveling partners on Oh yeah, like constantly forget everything. I pretty much have to have like Jill's constantly reminding me, Do you have all of these things? Ask her about her graduation, ask her about the things she's taught my children. Oh yeah. Her kids might send us. Why'd you teach her children? Um well I may or may not have taught Janae how to do a mop dive. those good stories as well yeah oh yeah jill and i just thought of one we were um we had to do some dentals in like minus a million i have no idea why we why we did that it was really cold out and my dental float turns out it kind of seizes up when it's cold Mm. and so it took when i was trying to change the drill bit it took both jill and i pulling on them to try to get them apart and it resulted in me literally flying across. It was like a horse shelter and hitting the wall as it released because we're just pulling as hard as we can in front of a client. Yeah. Oh, my yeah. goodness. Shit. Yeah. The stories are pretty endless. But, but yeah. yeah, I don't, I mean, I can't Those think are of anything good, right now. You, but. you did good. You, you did good. <laughs> and that's, that's also why I love my clients because I feel like everybody kind of has a similar sense of humor to us mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. mm-hmm. you know Cassidy once we were in a horse trailer x-raying a horse because it was monsooning outside and anyhow the Cassidy got really excited because they had a mini in there and she stood up really fast and smoked her head on the fighter <laughs> um, and the client has reminds me of that every time I see them <laughs> like remember that time your assistant got so excited about a mini she almost gave herself a concussion. Oh, my goodness. Oh boy. Yeah. It was a memorable appointment so. for them, too, at least. Yeah. Was it at least a really cute oh, one? Oh, totally. <laughs> well, according to Cassidy, they're all cute. She just <laughs> dies over them. She says she's just going to have a herd of minis instead of um, barrel racing. <laughs> it's a good time. We have fun, but we are also good at being serious, <laughs> too. <laughs> a little <laughs> humor is doing our job. Bad. You can definitely tell that. Yes. Especially yeah. from this podcast. That was so much great yeah. and professional information that mm-hmm. you uh, gave to all of us and our listeners tonight. So we greatly thank you for that because we've taken two hours and 20 minutes out of your evening. <laughs> <laughs> That's yes. worth a lot of money. That's an expensive vet appointment. 
<laughs> yeah, just tell me what your email is. <laughs> oh, I have a really funny story. <laughs> oh, good. Oh, good. <laughs> we so we went to this appointment, and this guy he kept saying his or when we asked him his name, I guess it sounded like Bale, like B A L E. Like mm-hmm. around bail. <laughs> and so my summer student goes and takes down his information and he's like spelling out his email and it, she spells it out bail. <laughs> and so literally for like an hour on our drive, we're like debating to each other, is his name actually bail? And by the end of the conversation, we've decided, okay, his name is probably bail. And we just, you know, didn't expect that. <laughs> so we send him the invoice and his name is in the email. And a couple of weeks later, Cassidy calls him and says, did you happen to receive our invoice? And he's like, oh, no, didn't receive anything. <laughs> and so Cassidy's like, do you mind um, just making sure we have your email correct? <laughs> and all along, his name was Dale. <laughs> <laughs> That's but <laughs> we all, like the amount of time we spent discussing the fact that his name was Dale. And he said it to us numerous times and we all heard Dale. Dale. <laughs> <laughs> His name was Dale all along. Oh, that's hilarious. That is yeah. honestly so that's a that's a really good mistake that though. Really I like that. <laughs> yeah. I was like really out of all I think there were four of us on that trip and we double checked his email and everything. <laughs> Anyhow, and he, at the end of the day, Dale did pay his bill. <laughs> oh good. <laughs> he finally got Because he finally received it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think he really like had a thing for um Cassidy, so then he really had to <laughs> <laughs> he paid real quick. Well, that's a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> he was happy to hear from her. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Oh, Dale. Yeah. Oh, Dale. Well, yes, we want to just thank you again so much for coming on the Horse Poor Podcast. I know all of our listeners will really appreciate all the information that you gave us. And yeah, we'll let you take us out of this podcast. Get rid of All right, Rider Dies, we hope you enjoyed that podcast just as much as we did. Yes, and be sure to tell a friend and share a page because the more follows and subscriptions we get, the more we're able to bring you this high-caliber content. And as always, follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Horsepore Podcast. Also, if you have any ideas for collaborations, you can email us at horsepoorpod at outlook.com. 